With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, guys. Today, obviously, we have a guy that needs really no introduction on the YouTube <laughs> space. If you're watching this I'm or listening, I'm pretty guaranteed that you know who Kevin Smith is. KSR Racing, win with Kevin, win with KSR. There you go. Um, <laughs> kind of taken over on the building side of automotive YouTube, and uh, yeah. we're going to sit down and talk to him and hear some of his uh, opinions on racing cars, other forms of racing, because you've kind of done it all. You've done the boat stuff. It really bit. never ends. Um, so how did you get into racing? I know you worked for another shop for a long time. Yep, so actually the whole car thing, which for a lot of people is probably true, started with my dad. He had a 1970 Oldsmobile W30, which was like the pinnacle of Oldsmobile muscle cars and hot rods. You know, had a 455 big block in it. And I can remember him racing, like he took it to the track once or twice when I was like seven or eight years old. And I can remember him, you know, coming back from the track and had the numbers on the car. And I don't think I went with him because I don't remember that part of it, but... That stuck, and then was always kind of interested in cars. I built model cars as a kid, you know, raced RC cars and, like, little different things. Mm -hmm. My dad was huge into RC planes. Like, you know, back then it was all balsa. It wasn't the cool, like, the electric stuff that they've got now. But Now those electric planes are out of this world. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. His stuff was all, like, nitro. Like, it had nitro mixed in Mm -hmm. with the fuel and, like, stuff you can't even buy nitro anymore because of all the bad stuff that can be done with nitro yeah they're definitely a hazard and it's it's a whole different world doing nitro stuff because i've done rc with nitro and it's a pain in the butt but man is it great yeah it's freaking (laughs) stupid little amounts of power and he used to do stuff where they had similar planes and they would hang ribbons on the tail and the goal was to like Mm -hmm. trim the ribbon off your your dude's plane that you were flying against yeah and like they'd crash into each other sometimes and you wreck a plane that you spent all this time building and it's not the i mean he had hours and hours and hours into this stuff but yeah so i guess on my story like i actually went to work at the same place my dad did while i was in college and that was a place in gainesville called metal container corporation and all we built was the pop top lid of like beer cans, Pepsi cans, Coca Cola, like all of the big customers. The company was owned by Anheuser Busch, and I mean, we literally made like twenty seven to thirty million lids in a twenty four hour shift. The place ran twenty four hours a day. Mm-hmm. You worked twelve hours on, and then it was like a you know real shift work. There was four teams that kept the thing going, and. Like, that gave me money to start playing with cars. I was in college, but bored with college because college for somebody who's, like, mechanically inclined and, like, technical stuff, like, I probably should have stuck it out and done more, like, engineering stuff, but... And a guy that wants to be a business owner, I guess. Like, uh, yep, that's you have actually... a business owner mindset. I did. College feels like, what am I doing here? I don't need this to be a business owner. Yep, and that's kind of where I was leaning, actually, was towards business administration in college. And 
it came down to one semester where I was taking, I took too many classes and I overloaded myself. And so I dropped a class, but when I bought the books for that class, they were like, you know, this book will be fine for another couple of years, whatever. And you pay all this money for your books in college. And I go back to the class the next semester, which was actually after the summer break. So it was a, you know, a school year different. Mm-hmm. And they're like, the professor's like, oh, well, you need the newest book. And, and the bookstore was, it was the campus bookstore. And they're like, well, it, when you buy the books, it's like you, you'll get 50% of your money back which is still when you're paying $300 and $400 for books is ridiculous. For a book that you flip the pages in. Yeah. It's hardly used. Yep. So what happened was they said I needed the new book. I go back to the bookstore. They won't take my old book back because now it's obsolete. And so I'm like mad now. And I go take the new book and all they did was move things. And, like, moved the pictures, added some pictures, removed some pictures, Mm -hmm. and all the page numbers are different now by, like, a couple of page numbers. And I'm like, you know what? This is ridiculous. Heck, it's cool. I can – I'm already making good money. Like, I can – like, in high school, I had a lawn mowing deal where I, like, mowed tons of yards and actually made pretty good money, like, mowing yards because, of course, it was all, like, you know, cash and stuff back then before you figure out the world of taxes and all that stuff. And you can kind of get away with it because you're a kid. high schoolers actually did that. Now yeah. I feel like that's not a thing. That It's definitely not, which is I, – I did a thing recently with a, the local TV show for the University of Florida. And I'm like, you know, I want to show people that you can take a passion if you're into cars and make it a career. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it takes a lot of hard work and you don't, you're not just going to fall into it. But there's people you can study from, and then there's there's even online courses and places you can go for tuning, places you can go for, like, uh, I think it's Wyoming Tech. Like, they've got a whole different thing that yeah. kind of leads people more in the NASCAR direction, I think. But it used to be Universal Technical Institute, and I think now it's under WyoTech or something, maybe. Well, with cars, you can also just specialize in the one thing. Yep. Like, you kind of do the tuning, the wiring, the chassis work, like... Yep. You don't need to have all that yep. to build cars. You could be just a good wiring guy, and a shop yep. would hire you in a second. Yep, and actually my whole thing for doing that and learning all that is because I couldn't afford to pay a professional shop to do it mm-hmm. myself. Or That's to, the story I hear yeah. from most people. I learned tuning because I couldn't afford the $80 to yep. pay somebody to tune it or and, didn't trust the guy. Yep, and it's like I've always been... I, and I don't know if I got it from like my youth and like building model cars and the attention to detail, or maybe that's just something people are born with or whatever. But like the working at the lid plant, like you talk about like an immaculate facility and you're smashing out 27 million lids a day. Mm-hmm. But like we had to keep everything so clean that if August Bush, who, you know, was at the time the owner of all of Anheuser Bush, if he came in, which he would randomly show up like in the, I think the three years I worked there, he showed up twice and it was more a concern for the full-time people. Like I was kind of a part-time kid, but if the, if he walked out there and he would have a white glove on and he wiped a piece of equipment and like dust was on his finger, he made you shut down that piece of equipment until it was completely clean top to bottom. Mm. And so like, there's always been this and like in that world, everything is so precise 
Like you don't think that it is, but all these little indentions in your can lid and all of the tabs, all that stuff has a science behind it. And it's very well calculated because if it's not right, well, then the lid doesn't open or the tab breaks off or it doesn't seal to the can Mm -hmm. and all of these little technical details. And so kind of getting that under my belt and the importance of, you know, being detail oriented and doing things right kind of ran right into the car stuff. And I worked for that other company for a while and had, you know, some issues with how that ended up. But I was always like real interested in fabricating stuff, like see a problem, like create a solution to fix that problem. And it just kept getting more and more detailed. And I'm like, then the internet, you know, fed it a ton because, you know, back when I was 20, the internet was, you know, you're on dial up and like, it's all fresh and new. And like there wasn't near the videos that are available now. And like the internet has brought so many people together with the knowledge base that you really can learn a ton of stuff just with the internet, whether it's car specific Mm -hmm. or suspension learning stuff. There's a forum called Speed Talk that I used to participate more in, but I still go and read a little bit here and there. It's actually like the old school forum because I feel like now everything kind of leans towards Facebook or Instagram or stuff kind of, but the knowledge bases are still there. Maybe because it's the older guys doing it It's hard it to find a centralized knowledge. Yeah. Like, even with, like, I, I was thinking with, like, Taylor Ray and drifting, like, it, you know, he knows so much about suspension, but, like, how do you centralize that knowledge for somebody else yep. to learn about it? Yep. Like, that's where it gets really tough. And yep. some of these universities, like Wyatt at Booster Boys, told me he learned how to do a, a harness from an online university. Okay. From yep. one of those, probably um, like HP Academy that's or something. What it was like that. yeah, yep. yep. I've watched all those videos, and and I'm the kind of person that I never think I can't learn something from some people, and I've been accused a few times of being like somebody acts like I think I'm a know-it-all because I'm just kind of standing around being quiet. Well, a lot of times I'm like looking and analyzing something. I'm like, I'm not like trying to come up with like. I mean, sometimes you're trying to come up with better ways to do something, like you see something. But a lot of times I'm like, oh, look at how they did that. Or, oh, like PRI is just like, you know, brain explosion where you just can see so much stuff in a short amount of time. And even the racetrack is the same way. Like, you know, I'll be out at the circle track today at the Freedom Factory, like looking at circle track cars that I haven't been around a ton. And then I've done a lot of road racing stuff in the Trans Am series as a crew chief. And then my core is kind of drag racing stuff, but like different things, like there's things that I've picked up in the road race world that helped us out in the drag race world and vice versa. And you know, like all kinds of different stuff to, you know, make yourself better overall. And it's always this kind of goal. I'm always trying to learn more. Like I'm subscribed to the HP Academy and like a lot of the stuff I might know, but like getting a different, take on it it's like oh well that's that's kind of neat yeah because there's really no right and wrong on building a car Mm -hmm. there is 10 ways to do it right and there's a million ways to do it wrong yeah but everybody can look at the same thing and think oh i would have routed that differently i would have wired that differently i would have put a connector there yep so there's no right and wrong exactly there's not probably like there's a way that's like definitely wrong but then the (laughs) way to do it where it's well there's a million ways to be wrong yeah a good handful of ways to be right. Yep, I would agree with that. <laughs> and and it's, it's hard to find that balance. And Yep, and then you come, the next step is 
like it can be right, but look terrible. And then the next step, which I feel like we do pretty well because there's a lot of times we'll kind of mock something up and we're like, ah, let's route it here or let's, let's move this accessory this direction so that we can, you know, route the fuel lines a little cleaner so that Mm -hmm. there's less bends in the fuel line. So the fuel delivery is better. There's always, I feel like a way to step it up. And I mean, one example of that is like the top fuel world, you know, that's the absolute pinnacle of drag racing, you could call it. And they're doing new stuff every weekend. Like these, these combinations have been basically the same, you know, 500 cubic inch Hemi's with superchargers on them. They, and they're constantly learning to where the rules have to keep adjusting to keep slowing them down because they're trying to keep them from going 350 miles an hour in the eighth mile and making the track shorter. Yeah. Because like literally if top fuel ran quarter mile today, unlimited, they'd probably be going like 360, 370 miles an Mm -hmm. hour in the quarter mile. And like the technology, like tire technology and all kinds of great, I mean, granted, I don't know what it is, but like 300, 330 miles an hour is fast enough. And they're flirting with 340 Mm -hmm. in the thousand foot. And I was actually at Gainesville for the first 300-mile-an-hour pass uh, when I was, shoot, that was 2012, 13, something like that. But, yeah, it's... Now they're all easily... Yeah, and they're so close. Like, I've been able to hang out with Clay Milliken a little bit, and the number 16 qualifier can win the race. Like, Mm -hmm. they're all within, at a good race... The whole field is in a top fuel car running like 360s. They're within like a tenth and a half. Yep. And it's just like, wow. John but, does a pretty good job at doing that in like Ultra Street and yep. X275 and LDR and stuff like that. Like he does a pretty good job at keeping those rules pretty tight. Yep. And, and like he's the bad guy when it comes to job. different people. <laughs> and like I've been a part of some rules discussion in a road race series that I used to run. Like, you're all part of a membership organization with uh, the Champ Car uh, Series, Champ Car Endurance Series. Haven't done it as much lately. There's a video back on my channel where uh, Garrett and I went and ran a race mm-hmm. down at PBIR, actually the last race at PBIR. I was there for one of them. Yeah. yeah I, that was I watched Sebring. a hole in the radiator at Sebring, and you guys fixed it in, like, yep. two minutes. I was like, man. Yep, yep. That was, that was the, I think, the first time he and I road raced, and Jeremy was there with us that time, and... Like, or that was the second time. It was it was pretty good to watch racing. And then I think um, Grant may have been there. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Grant's always, he's actually still running. And they actually just crashed a car, which I haven't shown on my channel yet. But that, um, that they I, we built them an NC Miata. Well, I say we built it. Like, we did all the cage work, all the tin work, mounted the seat, like, all the stuff to the tub. And then, like, they wired it, tuned it, set up the suspension. And, like, Grant's got that engineering mindset that like, all right, if this is the shock ratio, this is the weight of the car, this is the dampening we need, and mm-hmm. this is the spring rate we need, and like his stuff, like the car was, it's a four-cylinder Miata, but they were setting the fastest laps of the whole field in this. Now, granted, he takes weight reduction to the absolute maximum because there's nothing mm-hmm. in the rules about what the car's got away, so you optimize the car where you can optimize the car. And, I mean, they dominated and got tore up of a wreck totally not their fault like a guy lost it on their inside and got loose and hit him and then spun hit the wall and like it's a bummer the car sitting on the trailer out behind the shop and it's just like man all that time and effort into that car and 
Now it's junk. Unfortunately, that's a tough form of all racing. I mean, it just yep. happened to Farlow where he oh, yeah. took someone out, and it's like that's a bad deal. I'm sorry, man. Like, I, it is what it is. Like you, when you strap in that car, when you're in the beams, like you know mm-hmm. that's a potential. That's one thing about racing in my car that's coming together. I say coming together. I've been teasing it on my channel for entirely too long, but my '78 Cutlass is my first car. And I've been accumulating parts with it for years as I've been building a business and trying to raise my daughters and everything. And it's got a ton of sentimental value to me. And at the same time, I know that like the goal for the car is like deep into the sevens, possibly even a run at the sixes Mm -hmm. with a real Oldsmobile engine. And like, you know, when you put it in the beams, like you might not drive off the end of the racetrack. It might be a ball of steel at the, at the, point because things break like Mm -hmm. it happens i've i've struggled with the idea of if there's somebody that pulls into the beams next to me that i don't think i want to line up with in competition how do you make that because we all know there's cars out there that shouldn't be out there (laughs) and you may not want to line up with them Yep. and it's like it's it's a tough thing to kind of struggle with like do you Will you back yourself out of the beams if you don't think that that car should be next to you going 160 miles an hour? There's times where you wonder. And I mean, and there's sometimes even the greatest drivers make a mistake and they, of course, they have a crash too that ends up taking out both cars and it's a bad deal. And unfortunately, like if you want to get the wind light, you're putting it in the beams and sending Mm -hmm. it. And it's like, all right, if I, and I think a lot of it too is if, if it's a car that's equally matched, as long as your car, if you're confident in your car is going to run a number, then the only place you should have to worry about them crashing you is the shutdown. Mm-hmm. Because if you're even going down the track and they lose it, by the time they come into your lane, they should be behind you. Should be. Ideally. Ideally. In a, in a perfect <laughs> world. I mean, that yeah. was Farlow's deal, though. It was like 60 feet out. Yep. And they were dead even, and yep. somehow he still had momentum to keep. I think he right was ahead on of the guy. He must have been because to have the momentum to yep. still hit him like that. But crazy yeah. deal, man. That that was that was a terrible wreck. But I've seen shutdowns where people have their parachute out and then they turn right in front of the car yep. to take the early shutdown. I'm like, what yep. the hell and is that? That's like one of my huge concerns because. Like, you know, with like a funny car cage and like you got a Hans device on, you can't like mm-hmm. look around and look out the back of the car. So then you're trying to like move the mirror and like, all right, where's he at? Like I, I saw him back yep. there earlier and you're kind of wondering. And a lot of times if I'm the, like say I'm left lane and it's a right exit track, a lot of times I'll just wait until they leave. Like, like till they drive by me and turn off the track, yep. especially if I've got the shootout because I don't want to drag the shoot over in front of them and get, get run over there. But unless I can see and spot them in a mirror and be like, all right, I know they're behind me. I know we're not going to have any Yeah, if you have can't see drama. them in, their mirror, in your mirror, they're probably pretty close. Yep. <laughs> yep. Or sometimes you can hear them if they haven't shut the yeah. car off. And... Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Have you ever had to return a forgotten bag of adult play toys to a pair of sweet old grandparents? Or have you spent your summer cleaning up protein spills at an amusement park? How about going to work every day in a flea-infested casino? Hopefully you haven't, but our guests have. Welcome to the Insiders Podcast. Each episode, we bring you an explicit account from a hotel and hospitality industry insider. To listen to these stories and more, go to theinsiders.com to subscribe. That's theinsiders, I-N-N-S-I-D-E-R-S.com. All that fun stuff. So. Even like body panels fly off and hit cars. Like I've seen, yep. I've been in the lanes at, T- at FL2K and the Camaro in front of me lost his T-top. Oh. Shattered on the oh god! <laughs> right in front of me, I'm like in the burnout box, like waiting to go, and it's like, uh, here it, comes the cleanup. I have really bad luck with that, though. If I pull into the burnout box, I've more often than not ended up sitting there waiting for a cleanup. I think we all have it at some point. Like <laughs> I have, it seems like I have really bad luck, and every time somebody pulls in front of me, I'm like, oh shit, they're my friend. I hope that <laughs> hope that it goes well <laughs> for him. Nothing happens for <laughs> <Yeah>. them. <laughs> yep. yep. it kind of just ends up happening like that. Yeah, it's uh, that's. Part of racing. And like one of the things that we, I try and focus on is the stuff like that. Like make sure all the body panels are secured Mm -hmm. really well. And like window latching is a big deal. When a car gets to having like Lexan windows and like side windows, because it's not like people, they feel them and they're like, oh yeah, it's secure. Well, they don't realize that the, the air coming off of the front window makes this negative pressure area that sucks the window out. Mm-hmm. And so then when it sucks it out and it gets it in the airstream, it can just rip the door off and rip the window out of the, yeah. the le- uh, rip the Lexan out of the door frame. And it makes a huge mess. And especially if you're running maybe a car that's not aerodynamic, mm-hmm. <laughs> like thankfully these newer cars are pretty well aerodynamically yep. figured out, but like some of these like sixties cars and seventies cars, it's yeah, like, they're, they're, they're made out of clay and then they just like, <laughs> Oh yeah, it's good. <laughs> they yep. didn't have a wind tunnel to make sure everything was great. Nope. And even like my G body, the factory windows, it would try to rattle and suck them out. And like the last time my car saw the track, it ran like, like mid 11s on motor mm-hmm. and then like it run high 10s with a little bit of nitrous to it so fluid down is always one thing that like i i fear as a driver like i'm very like oh, i hope i didn't put any fluid down because you don't know yep you, like it's so hard to tell and like a track could so easily run the next car yep i and had a thing at uh, gainesville during the 352 shootout i think two years ago and it pushed the head gasket out and it had water on the windshield and I shut the thing down and I'm coasting back around to the ET shack 
and I get out of the car. I'm like, y'all go look at the track. Like there's water on mm -hmm. the track. There's water on my windshield. So I know there's water on the racetrack and the people were pulling into the beams and they stopped them. And he's like, they drug it, I think once or twice, but still like it could have been something else entirely and yeah. like been oily or I mean, yeah. luckily we only run just water in the car. So when it does put something down, it wipes up pretty easily, but trans fluid I find always gets pretty slick and yeah. Trans fluid, engine oil, diff fluid, yeah. which diff and I guess trans is a pretty common in the drag race world. We, we smoke a lot of differential fluid stuff in the road race stuff. Like we've got pumps on the rear ends to like in the Viper that I crew chief, like if it loses the pump for the differential, like it's overheating the diff and like spitting trans or the differential fluid out the back of the car. And cause it gets so hot in the diff and ends up smoking the ring and pinion if it runs long enough. Cause I mean the, I think the Viper it's making like, like 580 to the wheel in its restricted form. And the races are a hundred miles long, but that ends up being usually with cautions and stuff and depending on the track it ends up being like an probably like 75 minutes worth of 70 to 75 minutes worth of race time and stuff just gets hot yeah it's not like you're gonna cool down a diff very effectively yeah. it's got no airflow yeah. you know under the car is all dirty turbulent airflow so and you guys keep a couple diffs with you for that car right? oh yeah I feel like I saw a photo when you guys were taking it out, and it was like, oh, I got the three spare Viper diffs. I'm like, that looks easy to acquire. Yep. They, um, well, the good and bad thing about Viper stuff is as they get fender bendered, they, a lot of them get totaled mm -hmm. because it's so expensive to fix. You know, the Gen 3 and Gen 4 Vipers have the same diff in them. And so we end up with spare diffs and spare spindles and control arms and different things. And it's, yeah, like you're saying, it's, silly to buy them like new and then we have to buy a special posi unit for the road race stuff and those come from australia and we can't hardly get them anymore so it's like luckily we've got four good ones because the guy has two cars and so everyone has a different gear because we'll go to different tracks and we change the gear for the different tracks and we change the shock setups and the arrow and and a lot of it is kind of trial and error like We've done it enough years that we know when we go back to Sebring, we put this camber setup in the car, we put this shock setting in the car, we put the canards this way, we put the wing angle here, and usually we show up and we're pretty fast. Mm -hmm. But like when you're a new team, you have to beat everybody else and, and close that knowledge gap as fast as you can. So it's either you, you align with a team or an arrive and drive program to where you've got somebody setting the car up or you just wing it and then you finish, you know, 10th a few times because there's usually not a ton of cars that show up to these Trans Am races, usually like 10 to 15. And then they're not cheap events to go do by the time you spend, you know, $7,000 on tires in a weekend. And yeah, you, entry fees are huge and you've got to buy fuel from the track. and Place 10th a couple times and um, your excitement factor goes down a little bit. Yep. <laughs> of, you just built this car, you go out, you race a few times, yeah. you know, you start getting, maybe getting on the team leader a little bit. Like, hey, why are we, yep. why haven't we figured this out yet? Because everybody likes to point fingers. Yep. Yep. And a lot of times the driver isn't willing to admit that it's them that needs to speed up because mm -hmm. there's a lot of times and like the crown Vic races are kind of a good example of it. Like 
there's guys that are fast and maybe the cars aren't always even because like there's, there's a couple different gear ratio options or they've got lower mileage on them or whatever. Yeah. But you look at, let's just use like spec Miata for an example, like spec Miata for the most part, there's, I guess there's one group of probably like 10 guys that they're taking the engines apart, the transmissions apart, the differentials, and they're trying to find fractions of horsepower and efficiency everywhere. But your mid-pack are all, it's probably 25 to 30 cars that are all pretty even. And the guy that's last, the only difference between him and the guy that's at the front of that mid-pack is literally just how he's driving the car. It's his corner entry, it's his braking, mm-hmm. it's his, his apex speed. And all of that stuff comes back to him and you can show somebody the difference in the data and be like, hey, you're three miles an hour slow here, which translated into four miles an hour slow at the apex. You're late on getting back to the throttle, entering the straightaway. So then by the end of the straightaway, while there's only two miles an hour different at the end of the straightaway, that entire straightaway of being you know, four miles an hour slower then three miles an hour slower. And then you finally, because speeds come together because you acceleration just mm-hmm. stops the further you go down the straightaway but people uh, you you show them the time because like some of the data systems we use will show you a loss of time for a track section and it's like all right so because you were slow on this one little section it cost you six tenths of a second down this whole straightaway mm-hmm. and you're complaining about being you know a second and a half off the pace okay well there's six tenths of it right there so fix that and we get six tenths of it back and that's something that's some people see it, and other people are like, "No, their car's just faster than mine." Like, bro, you yeah, picked up there's, the throttle. There's something great about racing identical cars yeah. because what I do racing, nobody's in an identical car. Yep. And it's like you can pull up and know that somebody's just, oh, they're probably gonna beat me. Yeah. Like, but when you're in an identical car, it all comes down to driver. And I was even talking to James about this yesterday. I was like, drifting needs like a spec class. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Like, or even like a stock sealed motor class. Something to make people work in a, in a box. Exactly, because mm-hmm. that's where like, you know, you run away with a, a wallet easily. Yep. And it's tough to be in a sport where somebody can run away like that. Even in drag racing, like the stock sealed motor classes are pretty good. Like they're pretty competitive. People mm-hmm. go really fast with those coyotes in them and stuff. And yep. it makes it pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a whole... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you a car enthusiast looking for an exciting new podcast to listen to? Check out the Test Drive podcast hosted by Lee Den. This podcast is packed with discussions about some of the most iconic vehicles in automotive history and inside knowledge from behind the scenes. From the Mustang to the Camaro, we cover it all. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. Listen to Test Drive on your favorite podcast app today. There's a whole world out there of all kinds of different things. And then the hard part, 
like I, I think circle track racing has a couple of crate classes and drew that works for me now he's he's a he's got a dirt modified i think it's called um he'll correct me if i'm wrong on that but like it's you know one of those deals where they're sideways around the whole corner and when the car is right they don't lift they freaking Mm -hmm. chuck it in and it's sideways back on the throttle through the whole corner and and it's like he's not a fan of the crate classes because there's all the extra science that goes in with the like then the guys are like taking the transmissions apart and having them micro polished and you know you're taking a a stock transmission and spending five thousand dollars on it to get it efficient get all the efficiency you can get out of it so that it's like two or three horsepower more efficient it's like well that's why like chevy has the bolts marked you know you can't take the intake off type of thing like you can't for the sealed the sealed classes yep because even those guys race at World Cup, like they they can race the all motor classes at World Cup because those cars are so fast. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it, it brings it levels the playing field out a little bit, and that's that's where racing of all forms get tough, where the playing field is often not leveled. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the guy that's in the back is going to be complaining about that. Yep. And the guy that's in the front, he may not even be having as much fun because he just spent hundred thousand dollars on a weekend to win oh yeah two grand yep. so it almost kind of is a win-win for both parties <laughs> yeah yeah even if you look at like nascar like nascar's whole goal of their new car has been to like bring everybody onto a more equal playing field but your big teams are still like spending tons of money trying to find mm-hmm. little advantages here and there and like it's all single source part now that you have to use this stuff and I've got a friend that um, the, the Rick Ware team, which they typically run mid to lower pack, but they actually can turn a profit. And you look at teams like Hendrick Motorsports and stuff, and they've, they made it public like they're losing money every year mm-hmm. because of the huge organization they've got. And like the, the smaller teams, they can actually turn a profit because of the payouts and the sponsors they are getting. It's their operation isn't so big that it's just this monster that has to be paid for. And I don't know if you've ever been up to like Hendrick Motorsports in Concord, but it's like massive facility. I mean, and everything's top of the line, super clean, super nice. And I actually wanted to work there when I was a kid and we went up there on a vacation and I'm like, I think I signed the, the guest book as like future employee or something when I went to Hendrick Motorsports. So, but that, that didn't, that career path didn't pan out. So it is what it is. We, we spent some time, me and Garrett, we got to go to a, a NASCAR race and one of the guys that were there, we got to go hang out in their pit. And I was so surprised because it was like a very like self-funded program. It was like a cheap deal. Nice. And everybody that was working there was re- wearing like a hand-me-down race suit. Like oh, one, another like team they, they sponsor. from different teams because like they didn't even have matching suits at this point. I was That's like, awesome. these guys are really doing it and there was like a big debate at the time about like the fast guns mm, and the slow the guns. guns they're regulating pressure that goes to your gun and like gotcha. all this stuff for the split seconds amount of time that it takes to pit yep and that's stuff that a lot of people don't think about when they get into any kind of wheel to wheel racing like we don't have to deal with it in trans am because our stuff is one fuel run one set of tires for the whole race but like in that world 
not only is the car important, but the the pit box is important and the speed of the pit guns and the speed of the floor jack and the mm -hmm. speed of all the crew guys like and the the choreography of all the crew guys like all of that stuff matters and now you've yeah. got this this racing thing that is just this like i said it's like a huge monster of like financial obligation as far as what it takes to be at that very top level and one thing that's kind of similar to car builds like up at the very, very top of motorsports, like your peak, like the top 5% might be double the cost of the top 10%. And then it kind of just trickles on down from there. Mm -hmm. And you're when you're building a car, especially like as a pro shop, which I put myself even in the pro shop uh, like quotes, like we build a lot of cars for people and I could literally put you know, 5,000 hours into building a car. If I mm -hmm. like made every single piece perfect, it was like just this beautiful thing to look at, but you've got to find this balance of race car stuff of like function and then like ease of maintenance, which I guess is kind of function as well, but like, and then it has to do its job. And then, then the looking good part is important to some extent, but it's not as important as the car going out and running a number consistently because you can't see that little thing that's not exactly perfect when the wind lights come yeah. on. So, and there's going to be R and D involved in every single build mm -hmm. because they're not all the same. Yep. If you're building all the same cars, that would get less exciting for everybody footing the bill. Yep. But I think of it like building a house. Like when you buy like one of those houses, you could do like do you spend you know, 5,000 per square foot yep. or 10,000 per square foot home. Yep. And how the craftsmanship goes up really quickly. Yep. You know, you get, the, you spend the more, you get the crown molding, you get the nice walls. Like yep. it's the same thing. Like it's per square foot almost yep. of how nice you want that car to be. And, you know, even when you build a harness, you can, from a wiring harness, you can spend $10,000 or you can yep. spend 200 bucks on a, yeah. on Just a, pretty terrible one that's probably heavier bad worse wiring like. yep yeah and we do a lot of like custom wiring jobs and when we're when we're nose to tail on a complete wiring job i mean there's a hundred to 150 hours in a complete wiring job and then all the programming that goes along with it mm -hmm. and the dual fuel system stuff we're doing where the systems flop each other and it's a huge expense but when we get something that like the customer has confidence in, you know, seeing what we've done in the past that, okay, well, I know your stuff works and then they're more willing to pay for it because there's, I mean, it doesn't take anything these days to wrap up a hundred thousand dollars in a car. Like you start talking about building something where you're, say you want to run sevens and you end up with, you know, aside from there's always the, the LS guys that are like, oh, you can, you know, Stock block, stock bottom in, which been down all that road with Soccer yeah. Mom. And yeah, you can do it. You could do that before you even get the parts. Yeah. Like you could do that before the car is even at the chassis shop. Oh, you could yeah. have almost 100 grand into it. Yep. Engine yep. transmission now to run with the fast guys? Yep. Yep. I just ordered a trans for my car that's a three speed 400. And it's not to the level that like even the trans we stuck in mullet, but it's still a $12,000 transmission. And yeah. I'm like, you know, 10 years ago, me would have laughed at a $10,000 plus transmission in my own car because mm -hmm. I've got a couple of good power glides that actually came out of Will's old drag radial car. And I mean, back then you could buy one 
for like 3500 bucks, brand new. Mm -hmm. And now they sell used for like $4,000. And it's like- Once that word lockup gets involved too. Lockup's pretty rowdy. <laughs> it I, gets a little more expensive I on parts and on, um, and on the transmission itself. Yep. Yeah, everything's gotta be stepped up a level. Cause when that lockup kicks on, it goes to ringing off flex plate bolts and it's a lot of impact. I mean, you're all of a sudden you're turning a switch that locks everything up one to one and you've got, you know, 2,500 horsepower coming down from the engine and it's going to find whatever weak link is left to break I, it. Funny enough, um, after Garrett put the lockup in his car, I had a lot of comments like hit the lockup, hit the lockup. I'm like, it's a $4,000 power glide. It doesn't have a lockup. There's no lockup. And two, I would leave my crank on the ground Yep. in a small, you know, three, three liter motor like yeah. this stock block. You're, you're leaving the crank on the ground. Most likely yep, two J a... cars in lockup. It's tough. It's really hard on. Things. I think Victor messed with one for a little while, didn't he? he but did. that was like a super trick engine and like, yeah, he's also hurt that car. A oh, few really? Times, you maybe know? because of the lockup. Maybe, maybe because the rules for 2Js are really tight. Like mm. 2J rules in World Cup, my car, like Victor's car, has to run a smaller turbo than Ruby. Mm. Gotcha. In the same class. To try and keep them paired up somewhere. Yeah. It, it's a weird deal. Huh. So you're kind of really stringing out. Gotcha. Like, you're really pushing all of your parts pretty hard at that point. That happens too. Like you see that and World Cup's an interesting race. I've always thought it was neat how they do so much homework to try and pair different classes up mm -hmm. because you could make the argument that a car like Victor's is, you know, it's at the top of its game and then they're trying to pair it up with somebody who doesn't have say near the investment of all of the science and the research and development that they've done mm -hmm. to like, so the 2J class, you know, through all these years, like it just gets more refined, more refined, more refined and more refined. And then they're trying to find somebody, I don't like, I could use Ruby for an example, but they want to stick this car in a class and well, it's run similar numbers to what this car's run. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is how they've done it or not, but like, they stick, they stick that in there and people could argue that's not fair to the, the 2J guys because they've got all this you know, time and effort into honing their, their program and then you're just going to stick somebody else in there that, yeah, they run close, but if the refined car kicks the tires and then yep. they drive on down and win, they're like, oh, what the heck? That's not fair. They shouldn't have even been in the class. And well, funny enough, like I think one of the classes, like 10 or like 15 of the cars in the class were Civics and okay. a Fox body one. <laughs> oh, was that the NA class? I, it was either an NA class and then a white one won in another class too. I'm pretty okay. sure it, it was a supercharged one. It was like a, I think it was like a 76 millimeter turbo on a coyote. It was okay. like a tiny, like gotcha. that's a small turbo for a coyote car. Yeah. Yeah. A, a friend of mine used to run, um, NMRA pure street and I remember like his main competitor was Teddy Weaver and Teddy ran world cup and I think did pretty well. It's like one of those, it's actually a car like your Mustang that year, the SN 95 Mustang. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think it's that year car. It's the, the new Fox body. <laughs> That's getting to be that, isn't it? <laughs> but it's like the, that color changing paint yep. deal. And like, I remember him going some rounds, but the car's like on the bumper, you know, for three years and he's rowing gears while the thing's in the air. And that's the way my, like him and Jimmy, my buddy, Jimmy Wilson out of Gainesville, like 
they were like neck and neck and like Jimmy's doing it at his home shop and like Teddy's got, uh, I think he's got like a Roush engine or something like that. And like, it was cool to be a part of like Jimmy's program and like, you know, see him go to these NMRA races and it's him and Teddy in the finals, like every, every race. And yeah, I love the, on the bumper, like bracket racer style, like yep. comes up, sets down and then runs their number. Like, yep. cause yep. that's kind of how NMRA has become now. It's, it's, kind of evolved a little more bit. index type stuff yeah i actually haven't been to one in a little while they just switched to now being at orlando i saw that yeah like, they're always that's kind of a big deal bradenton and like moved away from bradenton and i think that class has just changed a lot that's that's something that's happened so much is just classes evolve over time and like yep. some just disappear like there's been plenty of classes where somebody runs away with the rules and they just kind of mm-hmm. even in pro radial classing that Oh, pro yeah. radial stuff is starting to do that yeah the radial versus the world stuff is you basically got to be able to go 350s to the eighth mile or you're it's not even worth buying the entry card which is insane yeah on yeah. a radial tire yeah a 275 right those guys i think the radio guys the are on 315s but there's pro 275 and those guys have been 380s mm-hmm. maybe even 370s and that's just like you got two tires, which I mean, you run them. Yeah. Like two little bitty, like nine inch tires, and guys are going like 200 miles an hour to the eighth mile on these. And it, it comes back to like the track prep is super critical, and that gets lost a little bit. And I think in some ways it hurts drag racing because when the track has got to be so perfect, you're seeing the tractor make laps more than you're seeing the racing. Yep. And it's like, I love the radial prep like and going fast because it's like hitting the easy button when it if the track is prep killer like Bradenton always is like it's like hitting the easy button and you can put almost whatever tune in it and as long as you can keep the nose on the ground it's going to go fast i think that's the beauty of the no prep king series yep where there's so much action because there's not downtime and nobody's going to complain about the track being bad. Yep. You can't go up there and be like, oh, you know, track wasn't there for my hit. I spun the tires. Like It's no prep. Like, like figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And even when they, even when somebody oils it down, they take some alcohol and they wipe it up and, and send it. That's the end. That's the end of it. Yeah. That's cool. And yeah. the stands are packed for it too. So packed. Every no prep King race I've seen, they're in Australia right now. I saw that. They, like, they ship their cars to Australia because they get the attendance that that's awesome. them to do that. Whatever you think about that race, they are helping drag racing. Oh, yeah. I can remember back um, the Pink's stuff. And, you know, people, like real racers, did not like Rich Christensen that ran the whole Pink's deal. Mm -hmm. He's not a car guy and blah, blah, blah. And he's just making a mockery of it. Well, but when you come to Gainesville and there's 30,000 people in the stands, it's like, okay, well, these are people that didn't have exposure to our sport in our industry for me mm-hmm. like the more people that are involved with it and are interested in it is great i mean even like the same stuff that like garrett's doing like the yep. attention and stuff that he brings to drag racing stuff and people people want to do something for themselves because either they hadn't been exposed to it before and they want to do something for themselves or do it with their kids or with their you know their neighbors or whoever are their friends and like that's stuff that we didn't have without that exposure. And that's the thing 
that's been the most like for my channel and i've been slacking the last two months i'll admit which if y'all saw my channel you know why if you watched my video uh, where i talked about it but the people that comment and they're like just thanks for showing me that like i didn't know how to do that and mm -hmm. and then with my youtube channel it like when i started taking the break it was like you know i had my reasons for taking my break and then I felt bad for letting people down that I wasn't doing any videos and people are like calling the shop to check in on me and all this other stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm just like, yeah. I need a little bit of a break. Like the holiday stuff's coming up, which as you know, like December's a really good month to do videos. It's the best month of the year for sure. Yeah. Advertisers love yep. December. And I did like three videos in December yep. and like, like terrible, terrible ended the year pretty bad on the, the old KSR YouTube channel, but I've got a ton of stuff filmed. It's just when I sit down to edit it, I'm like, like for me, it was a second full-time job. Like I've got the shop that I've got to run. I've got my kids that I've got to take care of for my, you know, I have my kids 50% of the time. And now they're getting involved with gymnastics and like cross country and all this stuff. And my kids are definitely my priority. My business is more important than the YouTube channel, even though YouTube kind of feeds my business a little bit. So yeah. it's like I'm trying to find this balance because... But a lot of your filming is based off of what the business is doing. Yep. So and it kind of needs both to... Yep. Yep. And it's like there's like marketing stuff has been really good for uh, the YouTube channel to bring in like even some more equipment into the shop. And, and I want to give people... I never want a company to to you know give us a discount on something and be like well they they barely used it like i in a lot of times i overuse the stuff to try and yeah. like like i i i just got an arc droid a uh, little small tabletop cnc thing and i had struggles with designing using the program to design the part like the yep. arc droid's got this little thing where you can trace something out and that's all cool but i wanted to like specifically draw tabs for a specific purpose and then I struggled with the learning CAD because I don't, I'm not CAD educated, but I'm trying to teach myself how to do yeah. CAD. And it like, I got lost. And so the guy was like, you going to do some more videos with it? Because I did an original video where we first got it and got it set up and he ran some stuff that he had already pre-done, but I want to show people how we use it actually to build a car and stuff like that. And so I'm going to pause you for one minute so I can pee. <clears throat> so you're learning the CAD and... Yeah trying to dive into that and that's like a whole nother thing because i've spent a little time messing with that and yep. i do have a computer background and that is an extremely difficult yep. route to go down and it's it's something where i should probably take a course somewhere like mm -hmm. whether it's online or something but then for me it's that time thing where i kind of just smash through something and learn enough of what i need to learn to do what i need to do even though I could probably go take a five-hour course and, you know, shave a few minutes off of that. But, you know, this might be one of my areas where I could definitely do something better because I've just, like, I'll focus, like, laser focus on something to learn it enough to accomplish my goal where I could, you know, probably be more formally educated about something. And I'm definitely not putting down education because there's everybody needs some level of education. Yeah. But... Well, that's a good one. I mean, if you go and learn CAD design, I think that's one of the 
great fields to be in. Yep. And it's like, <laughs> it applies to all kinds of stuff. Too. Yeah. You so, can go work in a medical industry. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you talk to somebody like Alan who did medical stuff and yep. the, he had more CNC machines than these race car shops think that they have like, you know, yep. five CNC machines. And then you're like, oh, medical equipment has 2000 in one warehouse. Golly, like, <laughs> that's amazing. And that like, kind of stuff's like making like shoulders and stuff. Mm-hmm. Titanium shoulders. Yep. And it's like that stuff is so cool to see from how different it was, you know, 20 years ago, like mm-hmm. how the medical technology is. And it's in race cars are the same way. Like stuff that we did even 10 years ago is like, nah, I don't do that. I mean, look at how many cars do you see now that have a carburetor on them still? Like mm-hmm. most everything, especially in the boosted world is fuel injection. Cause it's just, you get all the data and analyzation with it or the analytics and like, you can see all this other stuff and you can get lost in data. Like for sure. I've, I've spent time chasing something like trying to figure out why something was doing something and it really didn't matter. The car still ran the number, but yeah. I'm like, well, why is this EGT a hundred off from the other ones? And like, you look at the plugs and the plugs all look the same and maybe it's the probes in a little bit deeper than the other ones or the way the airflow inside of the exhaust tube is hitting the probe at a little bit different deal. And but all that stuff interests me, and I've, I've called myself a data nerd multiple times just because I can sit, and a lot of times I do, like when I've got a customer's car that's out racing somewhere, and I'm like, hey, send me your logs, and I'll look through, and if I see something I think can help, mm-hmm. or you know, like if I see anywhere in the tune that maybe needs to be addressed, or I'll do all that for them, and a lot of that is, is hours that you don't ever get back. You don't get paid for, but you're just trying to help your customer run their car better. You don't get like lawyer hours billable. You clock in no, right as they send you a log. I've done some some tutoring, I guess I could say. Years ago, I used to do like some kind of tutoring to where I would team viewer into a guy's computer and look at his logs with them while we talked about it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, well, you know, we're looking at here because... You've got a dip in the G meter, so if we can do anything to tune that dip out, well, the car's going to go faster. Or a lot of a lot of things that I've picked up a ton of people in their ET is they shift the car way too high. Like if you look at the G meter, and when the shift happens, if the G picks back up after the shift, well, the shift needs to be backed up because it's falling on its face, and you're turning the thing, you know, eight thousand RPM, and like it needed to be shifted back at 7,500 RPM and oh, it's running great up there. It's pulling good. And then I'm like, just try shifting it shorter one time and see Use if it the picks up numbers. Meter. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Some the, people. The customer just, oh yeah, this is a great time at 8,000 RPM. Yep. Especially if you're at a turbo and stuff for the class. Like, yep. Yep. Like soccer mom, I like soccer mom's done at like 7,900. But at the Christmas tree race, I turned it 9,260 something RPM because I was trying to beat that all-wheel drive diesel truck, which mm-hmm. it did. He had he kind of spun. That thing was wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I shouldn't have beat him, but like it's that's racing. You know, sometimes you get one that you shouldn't have won. Yeah. But I could hear him, and so I kept my foot in it, and I think I got to the stripe by like three tenths before he did, even with a pedal on his part. And that was actually Soccer Mom's best quarter mile run. It was like a seven thirty nine at a hundred and eighty four something like that. Because normally we don't run it anywhere near the quarter mile because it doesn't have the gear for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, I kept my foot in it. And I'm like, I hope the ride stay in this thing when I'm trying to get this one in. 
So that's an interesting thing because you're at seven thirties. To most people, they would be like, "Oh man, like you can go at six. Like you're right there." Yep. That next step though to a six yeah. is a big step. Huge. It's step. not just you know turn it up a little bit and yep. suddenly you have a six second car. Like you're talking a huge leap. Yep. In. And that run, so the 739 was with a 481 eighth mile. And the car's actually been 460 flat to the eighth mile, like with a little bit different combination, but similar to what's in the car. Well, was in the car now. We just put all the steel stuff back on it for sick week. But even if I just got it to go a 460, it would probably go like 17s. I mean, I think 17s is a realistic number for what soccer mom could do. But making up that last two tenths to put it in the sixes, it's going to take something different than what we got. Like different turbo, different engine, which might have a different engine to talk about here pretty soon. But it's like people don't understand like that fast. Or we got to you know pull another two hundred pounds of weight out of the car. But then that throws that throws your torque converter off because the car's lighter, so the torque converter doesn't stall the same. And mm-hmm. it's that R and D that a lot of times. One of the advantages we have building a car for someone is we can build something similar to what we've already done, but just kind of tweak it a little bit for their wants. And usually we're pretty successful right out of the box. Like the the cars we've built, typically we take them to the track and they'll go, you know, 480, 490, like within the first time or two of going to the track. Yeah. And then from there on, it's like little tweaks and, and, like just to try and make them a little bit better along the way from there. And that's, like I said, one advantage of having combinations to work from. And that's similar everywhere. We're not the only people that do that. Like you look at ProLine and like they've got, you know, their their ProMod program and you write the check and they can stick you in a ProMod that can go yeah. NHRA ProMod racing like the next week. Here's your so, book of tune-ups. Yep. If yep. the track's like this, you do this, you do that. Like they kind of send you down that right path. And there's... So a lot of people right now, it seems like you can buy a seat into yep. an X275 car or a Pro Mod. Or, yep. So a lot of people are trying to sell their seats for 2023, which seems a little interesting. I had that idea years ago with Will's car because he was tired of spending the money he was spending. He's running at the front of Outlaw Drag Radio back then. And because Outlaw Drag Radio was the original, like, Outlaw Drag Radio class. And... Then they created Radio Versus the World, and he stayed in, which Radio Versus the World turned into like Pro Mods on 315s. His car was still stock suspension, steel floor, like more similar to your car than like really much of anything else. Like way more similar to your car than like a Pro Mod with 275s or 315s on it. Even some of these street cars are not as similar to a street car. Yeah, I mean, you look at Tom Bailey's Pro Mod street car, and he's... It's 100% a street car, but it's also like borderline pro mod. It's pro mod based, I would say, and I don't think that would offend Tom to tell him that. No, I mean, it's definitely somebody looked at a pro mod and then built him a street car. For and sure. added all the cool street <laughs> stuff, you know, power windows yeah. and big radiator and big cooling stuff. And But then the argument can always be made is you need it to be like that for those speeds, yep. for the safety. Yep. Like even El, the El Camino that Garrett has is pushing his safety boundaries yep, of a car like is. that. It's like you need a pro mod to be doing what you're trying to do. Yeah. And none of us are going to slow down anytime soon. Nope. And <laughs> none like, of us are going to be like, you know, we're fast enough. I think we'll leave it here. Yep. And like I've got a, a, a rear end housing in the car or in my truck 
that I picked up from TRZ Motorsports yesterday, and it's one of the floater style mm-hmm. rear end housings, which you're supposed to have, I think, over 210 miles an hour. And like, I've kind of mentioned it to Garrett a couple of times. I'm like, you might not yeah. think about the so, floater upgrades. So floater, so. what does that all entail? So basically a floater, it has, it's, it's real similar to a heavy duty truck, actually more similar to like what's in the back of your truck. And that the hub is bolted to the, um, the housing, like the, the bearings that hold the hub and locate the, the wheel flange and everything, the, the, the nut that captures those bearings, it's all part of the end of the rear end housing. And then the axle literally just it, you take a cap off and you slide this axle in and then it connects the hub to the differential. Well, if you break the axle with the whole floater assembly, it just, it spins the other tire instead of the wheel falling mm-hmm. off because your car mullets, like all of the, I won't say all, but a lot of your nine inch rear ends, if it's got, if it doesn't have a floater, which is like, it's like a $4,000 upgrade to do a yep. floater deal. It, if it snaps the end of the axle off, which is, you know, you figure the, if this is your wheel flange, you know, as the tire sticks, it's trying to bend that wheel flange, but it's also spinning. So it's got this, like your load, your bending load is always on the, whatever the front side of the axle is. Well, it's just trying to ring off the end of that axle. Yeah. I've seen Fox bodies do it a bunch where the whole wheel tire assembly and the axle is out on the starting line. Yeah. Yep. And this is more like there's C-clip style axles, which if it leaves the axle on the, on the, with the wheel, that's it broke internally. Cause like factory rear ends have a C-clip that goes around the axle and holds the whole assembly mm-hmm. in. But a lot of your faster stuff has, you know, nine inch Ford ends that bolt in at the, at the end of the housing, but it still leaves the wheel flange and the axle that last, let's call it four inches that can break off. And there's been a couple of guys, even in the no prep world or the, the street outlaws guys will, they'll, they'll break a, break a axle flange off and the, yep. the wheel goes, the wheel exits the car and tears the quarter panel off and the car crashes. And it's like, you guys have all this. And I'm, I'm sure all of the top guys have all the floater rear ends and stuff, but like you're spending huge money on these cars. And like, and I think when we did mullet, like you could make the same argument for mullet. Like the goal was like to like barely get it over 200. And so that was still under that 210 I think it's 210. I could be wrong. It might be 200. But the weight of mullet and like the the power that that thing's making, like big power. It's it's needing a floater rear end. We're so. talking like that that engine combo isn't legal in a lot of classes. Yeah, <laughs> and like it's not even the craziest thing that's available. No, like, not even not even close. <laughs> that thing is. I remember the uh, when they came to Gainesville for. Um, uh, when FL2K moved up yeah. there, like I went out there on the Wednesday test and was talking to Pete a little bit. And I'm like, man, I know this thing's got six, at least six sixties, six seventies in it just on a good track. Cause like when I was on the dragon drive events with the car, my whole goal was make a pass at every track and then try to tickle it into the sixes, which we did. And since then they've been on better tracks and been nipping away at it, nipping away at it. And then just Pete knocked it out of the park and put the thing in the six forties. And I like, you know, I'm texting them. I'm like, dang, that's freaking awesome. And like, I think that's one, 
that's one area of the YouTube viewership stuff that people create unnecessary drama because like, uh, like when Nate started coming in and helping Garrett out with the tuning stuff, I'm three hours away. Like I can't run down here all the time and Nate's a lot closer. And then like Nate and I both learn from each other and we've learned from, at least for myself, you know, I've learned from Pete, like helping, hanging out with Mike Finnegan and Pete up at Mike's place. And like I said earlier, like I try to learn from every single person. Like there's something that every other person in the world can teach somebody else something. And it might be, you know, something totally off topic, but when all of us car guys get together for me, there's no drama. Like I'm cool, like learning stuff from other people. And like, like I said, when, or like you said earlier that I kind of do a little bit of everything. Well, originally that was so I didn't have to pay somebody to do it, but there's always somebody that's a specialist in one specific thing. Yeah. Like you've got suspension tuner guys and then you've got excellent engine tuner guys. And then there's the, the, like the vehicle building guys. And we're kind of like, you know, I would say we're slightly above average in like kind of all of them, but there's always those guys, those individual guys that are way better at individual disciplines. And that's the guys that I try and elevate my next level. And, Every car we build is better than the last car we built. And it stinks to say that sometimes because you feel like you're kind of letting those guys down. But at the same time, it's like it's kind of like life, like everything. You wouldn't do things today that you did, you know, two years ago because you've learned a better way to do something. Yeah, and it's tough because like obviously a car you built five years ago is going to be nothing like a car you're going to build today. Yep. And that guy didn't get cheated. He got the best of your ability. Yep. At that time. <laughs> yeah. And like my own personal car, we did the cage in it like 10 years ago. It's 25.3, but I look at it and I'm like, ah, that could be done better. So it's probably, the body's probably coming off of it because I want to mm-hmm. redo some things. The floor's junk in the car. So I might as well take the floor out and get rid of all of the spots in the floor where it's like four and five layers thick because it's a 1980s GM G body. Actually, it's a 78, but yeah. I've seen people cut out their personal car's cages like three times. They're like, I'm not happy with it. Cut it out again. Not happy with it. Like, I don't want to completely cut it out because it's (laughs) probably a solid 150-hour cage. I mean, it's 25.3, so there's Mm -hmm. bars everywhere in the car. But that's where Soccer Mom's at. So Soccer Mom is, is stuck at a 750 cert because the main hoop is mild steel. And the point we're at now with Soccer Mom, like... We can go to Bradenton and squeak one through, which is not the great example for everybody. But, like, at um, the better option would be to get another body, keep Soccer Mom assembled, and then start again with another body and build the next version of Soccer Mom. Yeah. And then you've got two cars at the end. You can maybe sell the one or, or you put a milder combination in it and still run the car and... That's where I'm at with my Camaro. I don't want to send it to the chassis shop to get a bunch more things done. Mm-hmm. I'd rather wait for a roller to pop up or something yep. along those lines. Because, you know, I could send it to the chassis shop right now and have a $40,000 bill Oh yeah. quickly. Yep. Or I could wait until somebody already spent $80,000 and is now trying to get $40,000 out of their yep. car. Yep. That and then you still have this that has value. Exactly. Completely separate of the car that you just bought. Yeah, like drop a, drop a bone stock car off at a chassis shop or something along those lines. Because 
you know, once you're at that point, you're redoing most of the car anyways. Yep. Like, even like you said, there's always another part. I don't have a floater rear end. Mm -hmm. I don't have a three-speed transmission. Yep. I, the whole car doesn't have tube chassis everywhere. Like, there's so much more still. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, just at the point where it's, it's good, you know, seven, tickling into the seven-second car before even... If a track guy doesn't tell me I need more safety, mm -hmm. I know I need more safety. Gotcha. And that's like, that's where a lot of people think like, oh, I squeezed by. I was able to make a few passes. And it's like, well, yeah. you're the guy in the, in the car. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you don't feel safe in it, then you didn't get one over on the track guy. Yep. And the bad thing is it doesn't take much. And hopefully this doesn't come back and bite me. But like, it doesn't take but one little thing and you crash the car and. It's uh, not good. You end up getting hurt in the thing or mm -hmm. like probably my biggest concern is fire. Like I don't mind crashing. Like I've, I've crashed a couple of, well, I crashed my Lexus out of the Freedom Factory and, but I've crashed a few times road racing and like whenever you're pushing the edge in any form of racing, you're closer to that edge of crashing. And especially when it comes to road racing or mm -hmm. like any kind of wheel, like circle track racing, like, and if you make enough laps on a drag strip, like statistically, it's going to catch up with you something. Yeah. Like it's just the, you can't beat the numbers forever. Like maybe some people do like, Will actually never had a crash in his outlaw drag radial car. And that car ran four teens at 180 miles an hour. So super fast. He drove it well. He had a, a, bumper dragging all four tires off the ground that almost destroyed the car. Cause like when it came down so hard, it hurt his back. Like it basically folded the car at the firewall. So a lot of it had to be redone and bent back into shape. And, but like eventually it catches up with you. Like, well, even like the really fast guys in radial racing, they don't crash their cars. Sometimes they just take flight, yeah. like just at the top end, like they'll hit yeah. lock up and then they're just like, coasting into the air i think stevie yeah. fast had a couple like that yep. and um he had a big one and i mean this, that car was sold too like when he had the big one in the mm -hmm. i think they called that car the shadow like that car was sold and he was just running it for one more weekend and like because it was the big race and his new yep. car wasn't done yet and the thing goes and takes flight and and i think um tim had a pretty good one too um mm -hmm. trying to think slavens of yep slavens he, yep. his car went like over the scoreboards almost like there was one that went like way off it's just crazy to see that stuff happen the original one was i think dennis bailey i think his name was dennis because that's not a driver error or anything that's just like no and if you watch so the the one i'm specifically talking about was it was a red new edge mustang like the next year or the next generation above yeah, your car. parker's car yep and if you watch the video uh this guy go it's at south georgia motorsports park there's a bounce and there was an in-car video I saw somewhere, I think. Well, he like pedals the car cause it was spinning. And when it, when he pedaled it, it, it set the front, which then stored a bunch of energy in the front springs. He swats the throttle and it hooks up. And so then it, it hikes the nose up and he pedals it again. And then it just did it worse. And now he's at the eighth mile going 195 miles an yeah. hour. And it just took flight and just missed the scoreboard at South Georgia Motorsports Park and wheels go, you know, like 80 feet in the air. Mm -hmm. And like he got, that car was destroyed, destroyed. Yeah, that, those are crazy instances because you can't, 
Yeah, there's you can't drive your way out of that. There's no saving it if your parachutes aren't doing anything. Like mm-hmm. you're just in the air. And that's one good thing about the wheelie sensors. Like we put laser sensors on the front, but you can still mistune the laser sensor, and if it mm-hmm. outruns the laser, you're still screwed. You're flying yeah. and just like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> we were we've actually been to a couple tracks where this is an an interesting phenomenon, similar to not lining up with somebody, but where. They're about to run next round, and you don't trust the conditions. Dewey starts to set in and stuff like that. And, yeah. And as you know, you're paid to go out there with somebody. Do you have to make that call potentially to not run the car? Yep. There was even the um, the Christmas tree race. Like the dew started setting in, and they shortened it from quarter to eighth, and we got mm-hmm. beat anyway before because, like, the starting line was just wrecked from all the junk falling off of all of our cars and everything. Yep. And I. Every racer thinks they could have won the race, but I feel like I've made some tuning errors because, like, the guy that beat me was only running, like, 520s or something. I mean, I was yeah. running 460 or four, 480s in Soccer Mom, and all I had to do was just ease it off the starting line, and I could have, like, just grabbed the scramble and drove around him. But looking back, you always know what you should have done to win the round. But yeah. Like, it's like athletes sitting there on the sideline watching the... Watching the replays. Yeah. Oh, why did I do that? Oh, idiot. <laughs> yep. And, like, I wish I had done things differently, but you kind of always do when you lose a round. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other guys all think the same. So, you know, but that's part of the fun of racing is thinking on the fly and thinking fast and, like, trying to make the best decisions for what you've got going on in front of you and the racetrack conditions and the weather conditions and like it was, it was ever changing that night as more and more stuff fell off yep. of the cars, and you can't fault the track for the starting line being difficult because we're all dumping stuff all over the starting yeah. line. Wade's like, "You guys are the idiots that did this. Like, <laughs> yeah. this isn't like, yeah, this isn't anything I did." Yeah, I saw people complaining about it online that oh, the track's terrible. And blah, blah. I'm like, guys, come on. Yeah, and that's the same way. Like Gainesville Raceway used to get a really bad rap because they would have street nights. And people are going out there and trying to go, like, real fast on a street night. But, like, street night, you've got Bubba in his truck going out there and ripping up the starting line. Mm-hmm. So, like, does the track spend, you know, an hour fixing the, the peeled down to bare concrete because the starting line's getting dirt and all this mess on it? Or do you just rent the track for a private track rental where it's your people and professional-level teams testing on a track that's got really good prep? Like, you know, you're not going to have to worry about somebody tearing the starting line up Unless it's, I mean, radial tires still do that a little bit, but like if you just spin the tires right at the starting line, but oh, yeah, I mean, you could see some bald spots at FL2K for sure. Yeah, they were they were struggling with that, but there was some rain that hit, and like three five two shootout was just there, and they had issues yep. with dew. Yeah, that was that was tough. That's that's worst case scenario for event promoters. Like people yep. think like they get online and they start like flaming event promoters but it's like you think that's how they wanted that event to end (laughs) no and it's it's tough like there's so many people you know you that's the armchair quarterbacks that Mm -hmm. oh well that you should have done this and you should have done that and and it applies to all kinds of stuff you know people you got your people that are sitting on the bench that like they watch stuff and they think it's they've got this certain perception of it and certainly not that you know i know i don't want the level of promoting an event like you yeah. know like what Garrett and Victor and all those guys are doing because 
I got enough stress in my life when it comes to like all the stuff I've got to keep up with already. Mm -hmm. And then you're talking about trying to add event promotion onto it and, and chickens are talking. Yeah. Hey, excuse me. (laughs) I don't think it's necessarily wrong to, you know, post about things that you disagreed with, with the events. Yeah. Because, you know, you paid the entry fee, you, you went and raced the event, you supported it. Like, some events definitely need, yeah. like, hey, what the hell's going on here type yep. of mentality. Because I've been to some events where you're like, man, I will not go back to that one. Yep. And that's, I always feel like if I've participated in something and didn't have a good experience, my first move is usually to try and contact somebody that works at the, like, mm-hmm. the track manager or the promoter and be like... Because there's been times where we were somewhere, I can't remember where we were, but like the race organization was terrible. Like they would call, they would wait to call a class until the previous class was done. Mm -hmm. And so then the track's just sitting there idle for 30 minutes and we're wasting time. And then it runs into midnight and the dew's setting in and through each of those interactions where you've got a 20 minute between class and a 30 minute and then a 10 minute and those added up to two or three hours throughout the whole day. And it's like, dang, like, why don't y'all like hire another guy or two to like, you know, try to organize the staging lanes a little better. So, and it was at a real small track. So it was maybe a little bit more difficult, but even still we voiced the thing and they're like, yeah, we appreciate y'all coming. And you know, they, they were at least receptive of the, of yeah. the criticism. And there has to be able to have an open conversation without it being just like attacking someone like the problems can be put out there yep without just destroying yeah and some promoters some people and it's like shops or shops can be the same way if a customer's got a genuine concern with something like go talk to the guy instead of just like flaming him online and like Mm -hmm. one good thing about that i've seen about the internet there's been people that post up this flame and like the people that have some education on the subject they see right through it and like it turns around on the guy that made the original post and it's like dude that happens quite a bit yeah it's like it's not the company's fault that you made a mistake with something or you used it in a way you weren't supposed to or it broke like parts just break like yeah that's the unfortunate part of racing and it's like you got to give the company time to make it right mm-hmm. if it's on them and if they don't take the opportunity to make it right like if you email them a couple of times you go back and forth but if your first instinct is right to the internet yeah. for attacking yeah you're, you're nobody's gonna sport. help you with that yeah so. if, if the company doesn't make it right you kind of get into like yeah different situations. there's that area where you can post and like i'm one that kind of hates drama and i've I try to steer clear of it, even though I've created some unintentionally, like with my mm-hmm. Bristol incident. But like, it's you try and avoid it, but somehow it like you still get wrapped up in it sometimes. And with the the part stuff, I guess the word of advice for people like that are learning this. I mean, we're all still learning, but like, don't just jump right on the flaming bandwagon because you're. You know, you had something break and you don't know why it broke and you think it's the part's fault. And then you do a little bit more, you educate yourself a little bit more and you're like, oh, well, it was really just something shook loose because the car had a violent tire shake incident. Yeah. And, or it's like, I mean, cars, one of the things that I 
suggest people do, but I don't even do myself as often as I should. But like block something between the car and the trailer because you're wearing your shocks out going down the road. Yep. Like the car bounce, like the, the trailer bounces and then the car bounces on top of the trailer. Well, all that shock movement is just wearing out the internals of the shocks, the seals, the discs that do all the fluid manipulation that makes the shock work differently. And like, we usually try to slide something or we pull, we pull the car down in a way, especially the rears of the car, because they're usually looser than the front. But like we pull the rear down so that it can't just be bouncing going down the road. And a lot of my friends zero out their shocks before they travel. Just loosen them all up. Yep. And yep. then that's a good thing to do too. Yeah. And I always don't do that because I know I'll forget to put reset them back them. where they were. They <laughs> <laughs> got their shocks that are zeroed out. Yep. And that's where like in the racing world, one of the things that I picked up from Will is like having really good notes. Like when we would go somewhere, every pass, like we have a notebook for soccer mom. It's just a, uh, you know, a, a no, like a notebook that's, you know, got a hundred pages in it or whatever. And we start a, a log when we go to a track. And not only do we have a tune saved in the ECU for every single pass, but if we changed shock settings or we write down the weather conditions and we write down like how good the starting line was, or if we were trying to avoid a bald spot or, you know, if the clouds moved in and like shaded the track, you know, track temperature, the more data you can gather for yourself, like the more prepared you are when you show up at the next track and you have similar conditions. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just plunk this tune up back in it. It'll go out, it'll go 475 if I put this tune up in it on this yep. track conditions. And when you can make that first good run right off the trailer, it kind of like eases the rest of the day a little bit. Yeah, relying on your own memory is a, uh, oh, it's a it's, bold move. It's impossible. <laughs> like I, you know, a lot of times we wing it and stuff and, and you get lucky sometimes, but more often than not, if you're approaching the edge, you don't get lucky. Yeah, that I was gonna often, say you can so. wing it to a certain point for sure. Yep. Like, yep, I totally agree with that. Like I know when they brought Sketchy's car out, I was like, yeah, I mean, it should go fast because, like, you know, when like 840s, I'm like, that car should, you know, on its easiest day, go eights, like low eights, like, because it's, you know, 388 cubic inch motor with twin 76s with mm -hmm. a turbo 400. I'm like, that car should easily be a seven second car. So even doing things wrong, like the suspension was all off and stuff, it was yep. still running fast. Yep. Yeah. Well, he, he'd have whooped me if he hadn't, I guess, broke the flex plate or something. Yeah, he broke all the bolts on the did it converter. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause I spun and he drove off and then on the gear change, I guess it broke all the bolts out of it. And then I got yep. lucky and drove back by him, but yeah, was, that was, you can get lucky. And I think it's hard to say, but 850 cars are pretty easy. It, I would now, agree with that. Like they're like yep. relatively easy to have a 850 car. Yep, like, I would agree with that. It's it's a it's hard to say because that seems very fast and it is, but it's, it's, it's weird. It's fast, but it's and then like you we say that now, you know, in 2023, and then like it won't be long to where you know a seven second car is just. Which I mean, I've we've got combinations that we know. At this weight with this engine, even our mm -hmm. stock block LS stuff, we know with this turbo, this weight, like, I mean, like the, the obvious example is soccer mom. I mean, that's a stock block 5.3, good rotating assembly, out of the box set of heads, and it can possibly run as fast as 17s in the combination that it was with the fiberglass doors and the fiberglass yep. nose on it and stuff. And 
as long as you're um, honest with your torque converter guy as well. Yep. <laughs> a lot of people try to overplay their stuff. Yep, and like converters will make or break a car. Like, For sure. 100%. Like, I learned so much talking to Jason at ATF and I was like, yep. like I'm gonna just trust you. Yep. I'll be honest with what the car is doing, how heavy the car is, how much power you make. Because yep. a lot of people think that they make more than they do, they're lighter than yep. they are, and then. And if you get it wrong, and there's there's areas, because we help people build cars for themselves too. Like they'll, they'll come to us and want like a recipe, you know, of parts to buy from us. And so I try to tell people that there's certain things like don't try to pick your own torque converter, like what you just mm -hmm. said. Be real with the company or, you know, research which company you want to use, make sure it's a, a reputable company and then be real with them so that be real with your goals, give them all the specs they ask for. And typically it's going to be darn close when you get it from them. You might yeah. have to send it back for a little tweak, but at least you get something that's close enough you can go make some passes with. And then maybe when you're trying to find that other 10th or two tenths, you send it back to them, they make some tweaks and then you get it back and stick it in and you know, you go out and go faster. So I find that similar when people are like custom ground LS camshaft and I'm like, it's, yeah. Why did you get a cost? Like you didn't need that. Like you yep. could have just gotten something off the shelf. Like some people think that they need more than they do with like engine internals yep. on the LS stuff. Like they're reinventing the wheel. Yep. And I mean, like there's so many good companies out there that have all the way down into the sevens, I would say like that, you know, you've got Texas speed and like Brian Tooley and all these other guys mm -hmm. that they, they've got enough of a customer base that where they've helped people along the way that, okay, you, you want to do this. Okay. Well with this transmission and this gear at a car that's 3,200 pounds with this turbo on it. Mm -hmm. And you know, if it's tuned right and you've got decent suspension on it, you'll be able to go out and run bottom eights or eight fifties, or even if your goal is tens, you know, just naturally aspirated or something like that, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve just based off of combinations that people have already done. And that's one great thing that I think the internet brought us together because it used to be like you had little local knowledge bases and you know, this shop did this thing this way. Like they're really good with, you know, big block Mopars and like that's their shtick is mm -hmm. they build big block Mopars and like, well, they've got a Mopar combination that runs really good. But yep. then now it's like, well, just with a couple of internet searches, you can be, you can learn about LSs and you can learn about 2Js and Honda K24s and like big block Chevrolets. And it's all just as much as you want to learn and you have to be. I guess you have to be selective enough with the the research that you're doing to make sh like you have to vet the people you're trying yeah. to learn from because there are people that'll just and I see it in some of the YouTube comments and I'm like, "Ooh, that's really not the way it is." <laughs> like yep. people will talk like they know what they're talking about, but you have to look for the results. What are the results of the people that you're listening to because like the people you're working with most likely they're not going to be able to, if, if you're wanting to build a seven second car, you don't go talk to the guy that's running 12s. Yep. You look for the guys that have already been there and done and had some experience with faster cars and the scene and like knowing what combinations need to be put together. And like a lot of people didn't know that I was a big part of Will's car. I mean, that car went six sixties stepping off of it at like, you know, 
700 feet. Yeah, like He could step off just past the eighth mile, and the thing is still run mid-sixes. And I caught some flack with mullet. Oh, you can't get that car in the sixes, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's not that I can't. It's just the opportunity hasn't really presented itself as far as being on a good track. And, like, the long wheelbase of that car did throw me off a little bit because not – no, not having run a car that fast with that longer of a that long of a wheelbase, it took some different shock timing stuff than what I thought it was going to need. And then you know now with just a little, and I kept telling Garrett, I'm like, it's in there. We've just got to find it. And then you know, like I said, Nate and Pete and everybody came in, and we all kind of worked together. And Ty and Zach doing mm-hmm. all the stuff they're doing in the shop, and like it's it takes a team for sure to to do really cool stuff and even with one car like if people don't know like soccer mom's a a three-man team where it's will kimber and myself and we all drive the car we all work on the car we all pay for the car and that's not a super common thing but like i mean i'm sure with your stuff you you need somebody to kind of help you at the track with the thing like it helps to have turn the, to turn the car around between rounds, yeah. or just hey, did you check the tire pressures? Oh, I forgot. Shoot, let me go check yeah. the tire pressures. Or it's hard because sometimes people like that I kind of know will try to help me, and I'm, I get really worried with that because I'm like, yeah, I'm like then then you know, like you three, you know your jobs. Yep. Like when somebody kind of kind of knows my car to help me, it gets really complicated, and I get really yeah. worried that things get overlooked <laughs> yep and that does happen like that for sure happens because i'm checking fluids in between rounds like mm-hmm. emptying catch cans like they, it's it's a good turnaround um more than it probably should be in some aspects yep. and you can kind of if you engineer the car to be able to run it yourself like you can run a pro mod by yourself but yep. you're going to have two hours between rounds mm-hmm. or between attempts on the track you're going to have to just hope you put it in the right place on the racetrack or you're on a really good racetrack where you don't have to worry about where you're putting the car left to right. But it can be done, but it's fun to do it with other people. Yeah. And, like, it's it's also a lot easier, I feel like, when you've got kind of a team aspect and everybody's in it together and, like, you know, you're, it's like, you know, football. You're all cheering for each other to, to try and win, and it's uh, – it's definitely been a fun project. Now that I've got my own car kind of starting, it's like I'm going to have to like we're going to have to split duties between the two cars and then we're always typically we've always got one or two customers cars with us at the track at the same time and I end up bringing more of the guys from the shop to come help and just cuz for me it will be at an event somewhere and there's always like just somebody that I've never met before they're like, "Hey, can you come look at my tune?" and I'm like, yeah, if I got, if I can free up like 15, 20 minutes or something, I'll run over and look. And sometimes it's something I don't have anything about. And so I've, as I've gotten older, it's kind of like if it doesn't fit in my box of knowledge, I don't try and go learn something new at the racetrack. Yeah. It's like, you know, you've got to say you've got some ECU that I've never heard of before. I am not going to be able to just jump in and magically fix all the problems you're having with your car yeah you're kind of a holly guy you're not gonna yep jump into everything i mean yep holly or any of like the main i would say the main aftermarket ecus like fuel tech how tech i can i can get my way through those okay but primarily like holly is my main my main gig 
And it's only because we've done so many and so like, it's just second nature. It's like, I'm kind of feel like I'm one of those more specialized guys. And it's a nice ECU to navigate through. Yeah. So very easy to their user interface is definitely a step above a lot. Yep. And you get the support of, or at least the, the background support of a huge company like Holly and there's arguments against that because it's hard to get them on a tech line where you can call mm -hmm. Haltech and get somebody on it like within 20 minutes all the time. But there's also, you know, the order of magnitude of how many Hollies there are in the world is way higher than Haltech. Not, well, that's not, not why Haltech, but. if you're going to buy a Holly ECU, find a dealer mm -hmm. that's smart like you or someone, yep. you know, that does this stuff and they kind of be your your initial tech yep. support for a little while there. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's kind of how Holly wanted their system to be. And buy from the dealers. It's been infiltrated by, and they've, they've worked to get it better here lately, but it didn't used to take a whole lot to buy in to be a Holly dealer. And the internet wars on Facebook, you know, there was always this PM me for the price because we're supposed to sell Holly stuff at a specific like a Holly Dominator ECU, we're supposed to sell for a specific price. And the idea is that you maintain the value in the product because if somebody's selling it for $5 over cost, it cheapens the product. But that guy that just made $5 off of you isn't going to be the guy that spends an hour on the phone with you trying to f mm -hmm. help you navigate through a problem that you're having. Where if you pay a shop the normal price... Well, now they made you know one hundred and fifty dollars or say on the on a on a sale. Well, they're going to give you some time back for you get your startup you, tune at least or yep yep some or they'll help support. you walk through like hey send me a data log if you're having a problem mm -hmm. and I'll help you try to figure out what the what the problem is or bring the car to the shop if it's acting funny because I've had people we sell stuff to and they're like yeah it just won't idle when I pull it in gear and usually I can fix that you know in 10, 15 minutes with just some data analog and actually having it there in front of me. And there's some things you just can't fix on a phone. That's something yeah. else that people should probably understand. Like no matter how good the guy is sometimes, and I, that's why I'm not a huge fan of remote tuning. Like we get calls weekly. Can you, can you remote tune my stuff? And I'm like, I'd rather not. Like I'd rather have the car on my dyno right here in front of me to where I can make a change and see the result of that change because not every car reacts exactly the same when you, even with similar combinations, like it may take just a little tiny bit of manipulation to get the cars to run consistently. And I'm big on like cars running smoothly everywhere. Like they don't just like drag cars, honestly, are fairly easy to tune because all you've got to worry about is wide open throttle. Yep. Will it do a burnout? Will it idle? And will it go wide open throttle? Like street cars are a whole nother level of tuning because you're hitting all areas of the whole map and like there's so much area to optimize and make sure it not only does it transition off of idle when you're pulling away from a stoplight, but it also, if you're cruising at 50 miles an hour and need to ease into the throttle to get around somebody, it doesn't like spit and sputter and cough and like act all silly. You've got to make sure that part's covered in the tune, which isn't hard to do, but it's not a necessity in a drag race car because you never even come close to that part of the of Yeah, the you're map. not just going to be putzing it around like that. Yep. Yep, yep, it's all... It's, yeah, it definitely all takes into account on that. So how important do you think the YouTube side of 
your business is, did you realize like, man, I should have been posting videos a little sooner? Like is it brings so many customers and so much brand recognition and sell it t-shirts does. and like, I firmly think like all car guys, like if you're out there racing your car, if you have a shop, like you should be posting videos. Yeah. I you would should agree take with the that. time. You should film interesting stuff. You should br- put information out there Yep, and you'll, that, that'll be your marketing return. It's like posting on Facebook or YouTube or, I mean, on Instagram, like, that's kind of how I see it. Like, it's the marketing side. Yep. And it's as, you know, I got a huge leg up on, on my channel with, you know, working with Garrett. And when I thought about having a channel, you know, it was kind of like, he was like, you do a lot of cool stuff. Like, you should, you know, put that out there and stuff. And, and then it turned into okay, well, if I keep at this, if I'm doing a video every two days or three days, like mm-hmm. I can keep it growing. And like, I got almost to 300,000 subs and then, you know, had my situation where I didn't really feel like doing videos the last couple of months. And like, now I'm down, I think I'm at like 297 and change, but it's like, it's work. And there's a return on that investment of work, but it's definitely helped with, like you said, brand recognition. Um, I almost feel like it got overwhelming at some points for me because you should at least be kind of a, you know, an occasional Facebook post or like, yeah. cause we have a Facebook business page and then like an occasional Instagram post or a TikTok or like all these different avenues to, and maybe it's the same people seeing all of them, but most likely you've got a little bit different audience over here and then a little bit different audience that's on Instagram, a little bit different audience that's on Facebook and then a big audience that's on YouTube, but they all kind of come together to help you move forward. And then like when it's good, it's good. Like, you know, you get some t-shirt sales, which are kind of fun. And like, it's even seeing some of my shirts at events and stuff. I'm like, dang, that's, that's one of my shirts. That's so cool. And like the, from the small shop guy, like that would never have happened if it was like, you know, we've sent shirts all around the whole world and that's something that never would have happened if we just stayed in our lane with the local stuff only, you know, we had, we didn't have a YouTube channel. We didn't have a, you know, any kind of like, I've always kind of had a Facebook page where I would just post pictures of our work. And as a shop, I think it lets people kind of vet you a little bit because not only do they get the first look without, you know, just like walking up to somebody cold at the racetrack and be like, Hey, let me look under the hood and see all your work. Now there's a time and a place for that. But when you can kind of no pressure on anybody, watch it on the internet, you kind of get that first step. And then maybe you learn a little bit about this particular car from the shop that you want to go work with. And then you've got kind of a conversation that you can have and, Hey, I'm interested in you guys doing some work for me. Like I've seen the work you've done on, you know, some of your own cars or this other customer's car. And I kind of want something similar to that. It kind of helps you narrow your focus to more quickly achieve, you know, the goal that you're trying to achieve. I think that's, I think that kind of makes sense. So I think like, you know, a shop that's right now building badass cars out there could relatively easy, make a 10 minute video showing a car finished and then Mm -hmm. on the dyno, you could almost one take those. Yeah. You know, you don't have to go crazy. You don't need some crazy amount of editing. You can make 
editing as difficult or as easy as you want it to be, very depending true. on how you do your filming. <laughs> very true. And I think by not showing cars like that to where, you know, people like, you know, somebody that wants to get their car built can just like see these things, mm -hmm. especially with like cars like, a, you know, some stock CTSV, like show some of the stuff that you did on it. Like it's, yep. it's very easy marketing in a way that I think a lot of shops need to be taking advantage of. And then the same with the racers. There's so many racers that also should be filming some stuff mm -hmm. and just posting it because it's just like, it's like having an Instagram account. Most people would be like, oh, you're weird that you're not posting your car on there. More. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's like, it helps your sponsors. It helps everything. And that's kind of, kind of one thing that it seems like it's helped a lot with your business particularly. Yep. Yep. And another avenue that I never even thought of, but like, there's some people that they, for whatever reason, they want to live through you. Like they, and that's one of the things that when I wrapped my head around that and then I took my break, I felt guilty because, you know, I'm getting messages. People are checking up on me, making sure I'm all right. And I'm mm -hmm. like, nah, I just, you know, kind of got rocked a little bit with something behind the scenes. And like the people still want to, well, they want to see me go run soccer mom again or see us work on soccer mom or, or see us on the dyno and like, or see the projects in the shop and, Either they don't want to financially invest in a project like that, but they, or they just want to, you know, be cheering for you at say the Christmas tree race or something like they've, they've followed the build. And then now that you're in a race with other YouTubers and stuff, it's like, oh, cool. I know a little bit about that car. I know a little bit about that car. And like, oh, they're going to race each other. That's like me and sketchy. Like yeah. I was actually excited to race sketchy because I'm like, man, yeah. that's cool. We've never paired up before together. Like I know like your car's fast or like it's got the potential, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just a gimme round for us. We left the same tune up in it that went 739 the past before. And I'm like, I think I got him covered. But like, if this thing goes and kicks the tires, he's going to motor right on by me. Yeah. And that's what happened. And then he broke and then I was able to get back around him. But, you know, had he not broken, he'd have whooped me second round. But there's that part that even me, like, not only are my friends with a lot of the other YouTubers and stuff, but I'm like fans of them too. Like, you know, watching you like develop this car over the years and then the Mustang and like there's people like, you know, Derek from Vice Group Garage and Garrett stuff. And it's like, it's cool to see the progression, at least for me, because in some ways, like, you know, I helped with the tune this when it had the, the CTSV motor yeah, in it back, way back in the day. And it's like, oh, I've, I've done a little work on that car and I've done a little, little work on this car. And yep. we talked about suspension when I first had the car out and yep. kind of helped me get like a baseline of knowledge. Yep. And then I kind of just played with it from there because there's not all that much you can really even do with that car right now. With yep. suspension wise, there's only like, <laughs> I got like two holes I can move a bar to. Yep. <laughs> but it's done what you need it to do. Yeah. And when it's got good tires on it, it goes out there. And, and that was that car that was struggling with the. This one too, also. Oh, really? Like the last Christmas tree race, I almost put it into the wall because it couldn't oh, get traction. Old, old tires. And then yep. I put the tires on the Mustang. So. <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense why the Mustang yeah. struggled later down the road. It's a great, um, it's the hand me down car. I was like, it only it only goes ten fifties. Like yep. eh, it doesn't need much. <laughs> yep. And it still they still worked on that car for a while. Yeah. And then I got borrowed ones from James on there now. Gotcha. <laughs> Putting new tires on a car. And then there's some uh, X two seventy five cars that I was talking to, or like a Pro two seventy five car that has some spare tires that they're going to give me. <laughs> yep. Nice. And like that's a good way for people to get 
some stuff. Like you can get hand-me-down stuff from from other racers. Like especially if mm-hmm. you like one of the areas that I learned a ton um, was I traveled with a guy who did. He ran the um, Orska series back in the day, and we ran I think six races a year. And he was a nitrous small block Chevrolet. And it was when the radials were just starting to get kind of hot. And it was like the first car to ever go a one teen 60 foot on a 275 drag radial way back in the day. But like traveling and learning from a racer hands on, because if they're an established racer, like they've got a good knowledge base and they've mm-hmm. won some races. And this guy's name was Eric Kenward. Like he's over in uh, Vero Beach. And like he's done all kinds of neat stuff, and I was able to learn from him and learn from people like uh, the owners of TRZ Motorsports, learn working around with Will's car. Like I worked on a top alcohol dragster team for a couple of weekends, and like did uh, any of that really apply to what we're doing here? No, but like it was fun and it was an experience to learn and meet new people. Yeah, and, like all of that stuff. It's it's been a fun experience. Just learning more and more and more through the years and i feel like i've got a pretty good knowledge base how on they things run a program and, is pretty important too like yep how to run a team and deal with that like yep half of racing is being able to go there and sit on your hands for a few hours and power through that yep. difficulty yep and there's a saying that um i forget which world it, or which racing genre it come came from but it's like most racers most races are one in the shop and then like Mm -hmm. you know it's the preparation of getting you to the track that you know you've you've eliminated your basic failure points and then if you can go to the track with confidence that all you've got to do is tweak your tune to try and go as fast as you can go that's a whole nother world of showing up at the track and it it you know the thing shuts off when you put it up on the two-step or it bumps through the beams because you hit the bump button and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, here we go. Well, shoot, we missed that setup. And now there goes that round because in like the more, if it's not a test and tune day, if you roll through the beams in qualifying or eliminations, you're done. Like you just lost that round because something wasn't tested enough that you, you had it ironed out before you went to the track. And like, that's the, the whole thing about, you know, the races certainly can be lost in the shop and they can be lost at the track too. But like preparation is a big key to having success in anything really, like through all kinds of parts of life. Like, yeah, I always tell people like, if you can have a car that can just make it to the beams round after round, yep, you're, you're going to win a race at at some point. If you can just consistently make it to the starting line, every pass, you're eventually going to win a race. I've won more yep. races, like made it to the finals in more races just because some guy that may have been faster with me yep. couldn't pull back into the beams. Yep. And broke or like yep. couldn't turn the car around or spun or it's a, it's a fun world to be in because there's all kinds of different challenges, but there's, there's also like, like I enjoy going fast. And when I got into the road race stuff, it was just because I could go fast for so long. And like the road race stuff I do is not super fast. Like we go 120 at Sebring. We go like 140 at Daytona. But it's two hours like as hard as I can go. Where like in the drag race world, I'm spending, you know, you build a car and you got $100,000 in a car. 
and every dollar you spend on the car is to spend less time racing it on the track because you're Mm -hmm. trying to go faster but like any investment you make in a road race car at least with the endurance road race stuff that we do it's you just make more laps like the car goes a little faster or like it's goes a little bit longer on fuel and like all these little things that add up and like the like i said the road race stuff is like i i feel like i'm a decent driver and it's like the road race stuff is just so fun because it's like hours on hours Mm -hmm. and you're it's the it's a hundred plus mile an hour chess game because as you're approaching other cars you've got to think through every single thing that they might do and then plan an escape route for if they do any one of these things and if you're coming up on a group of like five six cars or you've got people passing you while you're trying to pass people and it's this like mental like mind game of oh, I need an out here, I need an out there, oh, I'll just hang back for this corner and then catch him on the next straightaway. And yeah, see what the guy did last round. And yep. You kind of know what he's going to do in the corner. Yep. That's why Jeremy always pushed so hard to go-kart. Yep. Because it was dollar for dollar, probably the best like wheel-to-wheel racing you can have. I would totally agree with that. It is like, so relatively cheap compared to every... like relatively as like you could buy a go-kart or you could buy a set of wheels for your drag car yeah, for sure. <laughs> relatively cheap oh, like that's so that's so sad but we all do it <laughs> and you could have so much more fun go-karting for you know three hours at a time mm-hmm. than and you, you go will. home and you're wore out at the end of the day like, like you have to wear like chest pads because mm-hmm. you're hitting the, the seat so hard but that is yep. very competitive and good racing yep. i i definitely would I would do that probably if it was like a, uh, if that was the world I was in. I would, yep. I would do that one probably. Just. There's some neat things coming out with even, because um, I've been invited to do a couple of them and I haven't had the time, but like your more established go-kart tracks where they've got rental carts, they're doing some of these things, and I haven't done one, so I'll probably get some of this wrong, but like they're doing these endurance races with teams and... Some of them, I think you switch carts too. Mm-hmm. Like every time there's a stop to switch a driver, like say they run a 30-minute session and then everybody stops, switch drivers, but also your team may switch to a different cart because the idea is yeah. to balance the whole field throughout the entire race. And that might, be, that might not be 100% accurate, but like that sounds really fun to me because it's balanced, but it's also you're out there racing for, and I mean a go-kart, like we did the sick week party at PRI and those things were intense. Like we had been up there. I think you were at the ones we did in Indy, maybe with the Cletus and cars deal. And those were fun. They weren't near as intense as this one we went to with, with Tom Bailey and the crew. But man, after 15 minutes, I was wore out in Texas. We did one that was oval track with like banks. (laughs) That's fun. Yeah. And it was, it was pretty interesting oval track racing. That's cool. And then um, that actually was also something I was thinking. Go-karts are kind of a good example of would probably do terrible for YouTube viewers. Nobody would want to watch any in-car GoPro footage. So it kind of go like YouTube kind of viewership kind of pushes you in the direction of what you want to do. Because even nobody's going to watch you bracket race. Nope. Nobody's going to watch you go go go-karting. Even like 
you've done some stuff with like Mike and the boat stuff. Like, yep. I don't know how well that does, but like YouTube viewership pushes direction of what you do almost yep. in your day to day. And like my racing videos typically don't do well, but I feel like I have to do them because people have followed. There's people that watch them. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like you might get, say you've, your average is like 50,000 on your shop videos where you're building stuff like for say soccer mom. But then we take soccer mom to the track for a test day. And like, I think it's great. Like we went fast. We like did wheelie, yep. like, like everything went great. And you put that video up and it goes like 25, 30,000 views. And I'm like, what in the world? Like that was fun. Like I was yeah. exciting. Like, why didn't this do better? And like, it's so much like it can be so much more effort because one of the things that I like to kind of do, and I, I think some other people picked it up. I like multiple camera angles. Like I'll put a camera under the car and like yeah. on the front suspension and like all these cool little camera angles to cut and splice in. And that, like you're saying, that makes the editing process a ton longer because at least the way my program works is I have to upload into, or I have to load in all of my files and it processes them and when I start a GoPro under the car and it's got 15 minutes of footage, it takes forever to process that yep. 15 minutes of footage so that I can trim out literally like four seconds. And it's it's part of the game. And it's like, like I said, it's most of the time it's fun. But yeah, it, it it's had, tough because it definitely pushes what you do. And it's hard because like I want to be racing every every video, but like mm-hmm. that doesn't really work like that. Yep, not not. The majority of people don't necessarily want to watch that. And it's like there's like when I crashed my Lexus, I've kind of figured that video would do pretty well because people like carnage. Mm -hmm. And like sadly, not sadly necessarily, but like I'm not the guy that wants to encourage shenanigans and like, you know, carnage because I don't want to go wreck a car every. Oh, I need some YouTube videos. I'm going to go wreck a car because yeah. I got accused of that. And I'm like, no, I was just an idiot. Better hope like, this thing catches on fire here yeah, so we get, yeah, so we get like, some clickbait. When I, when I crashed, um, when I crashed uh, the Lexus racing Garrett, that was totally me just being stupid. Like, because it was Garrett right beside me. And, like, and in my video, I kind of walked back through it. And I'm like, I made this mistake and this mistake and mm-hmm. this mistake. And I should have just, like not even been in the position that I was and I totaled a car because of it and like kind of hurt myself a little bit. Like it didn't hurt bad, but I was sore the next couple of days. But then I also raced the danger ranger race that night. So that probably contributed. And like, it was, I thought it was so weird that some people were like, Oh, you totally crashed that just for YouTube videos or YouTube views. I'm like, no, because the $10,000 it cost to reshell that car and with paying my employees and working on it myself, that was lost revenue for the shop. Now, sure, we got a little bit of it back here and there with YouTube videos, yeah. but like I'm still in the hole from crashing my own car. Like, Realistically, you'd be better off before the crash. And it's hard to justify yeah. unless you're whistling diesel crashing things <laughs> yeah. for a living. Yep. Now, when you make it, that's your whole YouTube you like stick yeah. like that works great and i mean it's it's done really well for him and like it's i watch some of his stuff from time to time and i'm like and he doesn't care and it's awesome like he calls people out yep. on like like some of the stuff he'll he'll tear up it's like well even right. like back to what what forms like you know you may want to do burnout contests because they do better but also you enjoy them mm-hmm. but you may not do them because they don't do as well and yep. that's like 
where it kind of pushes your mindset in a weird way that maybe you don't maybe like you don't even realize too like yeah. somebody out there like I don't know vice grip for an example he may not even realize like he wants to do something because it gets more views like yep and like, he I think kind of likes the racing stuff yeah but his fans get upset when he's not doing his like drag mm-hmm. something out of the woods video yep and it's because I've seen him on a couple of his videos because yeah, I watch vice grip stuff too but he'll be like this is just you know something for me this is like my video and yeah. i make videos that are i make them because i wanted to make them and like the hope is that enough people watch them that it at least keeps some interest in the channel and maybe it pays for at least the time that i had in the editing and that was like with my youtube goals was always to at least pay me what i would have been paid like it would at least pay me back for the editing time and like it did that and then now I've kind of let it slide but like that was kind of the first goal for me because YouTube's not my main source of income it's kind of like I use it just to kind of contribute to the projects that we're doing or the projects like my own personal car project like it helped pay for some of the Lexus the 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 burnout car Lexus and then it's going to pay for some of the stuff with my car and it helps, you know, contribute towards my truck and like your traveling expenses to go to Cletus and cars and those yep. kind of things. Cause there's, it's a big expense to yes, take is. a car to Indy or something like that. Like that's a, that's a big, yep. big weekend gone. Yep. You've got fuel costs, you've got hotel costs, you got food, you know, and like, I feel that anybody's coming especially if it's my employees or anything if they're coming with me to help me at the event well i've got to pay them for their time yep like there's other people that like if you're just doing it with your buddies well you're all paying your own way and stuff like that but us as you know competitors or the entertainers i guess you could say for the 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 burnout stuff and the crown vic races like we've invested our time and money and i mean i bought a, a newer truck just so i would not have to worry about my older truck breaking down mm-hmm. on the way to the races somewhere and like rebuilt all of the suspension and brakes on my trailer because like had a brake problem and like almost crashed my whole rig and like that wasn't cool and it's a roll of the dice like those videos could completely flop for some reason yep because algorithm or because nothing interesting happened or Yep. A million different reasons. For sure. It's such a roll of the dice. Like, your employees are in a safe position if they're getting a paycheck. Yep. They're not worried about... The the owner's got all the risk. Yeah. And it's like, all right. And it's like, there's a part of me that still is like, even if we break even or even lose a little bit, I'm still cool with it because yeah. it's the experience is still a ton of fun. Like, I love indie. Like, I would go to indie, like like just downtown India, I think is so cool. Yeah. And like all the monuments and everything. And like, there's some things you do just because you want to do them. And like, like as long as it doesn't put you in such a financial hole that you spend months digging out of it, like it's okay to go do it. Cause it's almost like a vacation that you get to go hang out with your buddies. And you know, there's always good times that come from the, from those events. So. Yeah, if you break even on a travel you're in a good spot. Yeah. <laughs> you're in a very good spot because there's a lot of racers that go to these things that not making a dime. Yeah. Only spending. Don't ever get into racing thinking you're going to make money. I, yeah. If that's some people have that thought. <laughs> if your program relies on you winning the race to make the money, yeah. 
It's going to be a bad deal. It's, you're never going to. If your gas money home <laughs> relies on that, yep. it's going to be a bad deal for sure. Yep. And I mean, there's the interesting side note to that is like Tony Stewart was talking about that at PRI, like back, he basically bet the farm on everything. Like he put all of his money into this one race and it paid off for him. And then it led to the next race of being able to afford to go to the next race. And then he got an offer to drive a car for somebody and like it for some people. And I'm not sure if it's the same way because I feel like any professional level motorsports these days, you've either got to come in with huge sponsorship or just this amazing talent that like, you know, 99.9% of people don't have like, and I don't know, sometimes the talent may still never find the seat because you still need, you know, that magic point never happens where you get recognized or like, so just enjoy your, your racing Enjoy your racing without having this unneeded expectation of, oh, if I don't win this race, like, we can't, we can't do this. Like the old, uh, we're going to lose the shop. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that whole thing there. Like we're going to lose the shop. Like it's always that, um, the TV shows always do that. Yep. <laughs> this yep. project doesn't come together. We're losing the shop. <laughs> yep. And I think even like Tony Angelo, he's got a shirt for <laughs> yeah. that because we're going to lose the shop. Like, and, yeah. It's always the dramatic TV show stuff, the cheesiness yep. that is in car programming naturally yeah. baked in. And I wonder why that is. Is it the people that are watching? Like, is that what they want? I mean, I know drama, like drama sells, like people are interested in drama and like, you know, crashing cars or like I kind of clickbaited one, one, uh, thumbnail where, it was like Kevin and Cletus have beef, you know, and that video went stupid right off the mm-hmm. bat because it was kind of addressing like my sticker being pulled off the back window, which I actually told him like, I'm like, I'm just happy it was on there for as long as it was. Like, I heard he even threw it in the trash. He probably he peeled did. it off. <laughs> he, probably, <laughs> he might have, because that's where they end up when you pull know, the sticker <laughs> But like we talked about it and I guess it was cool to me and like when i see the car you know still doing so awesome i'm like man we had a part in that car and Mm -hmm. like it's super cool and there's people that fall on both sides of it oh you couldn't do this with the car and this broke and they've redone the whole car i'm like no they haven't like there's still a ton of my foundation that's into mullet and like the the timing worked out really good for me and for my shop because like, I mean, you were, I was around back, you know, even I think before like James was around, it was you and Garrett. Yep. And like, we, we went to Orlando and set one of the records that one night and we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. <laughs> None at all. Yep. And like, I remember that night that he went Still to, <laughs> when he went to 842, I think it was in yep. Leroy, like he wasn't going to make another run. And I'm like, man, that track's real good out there. Like if you think the clutch would hold like you ought to at least try it and so he did and it went the record and you know it was we had this relationship and i could back then i had more time because my kids were younger and it was easier to get away than it is now my business wasn't as crazy as it is right now and like there's still you know now what garrett has done to his credit is build this amazing team behind him where he doesn't really need 
somebody like me to help him build a car. I mean, yeah. Ty's an amazing fabricator. Zach's great at like all kinds of stuff. And then like you've got James's experience and then everybody else that contributes to like, you know, even like George's, you know, all of the stuff that he does and that's all cool to stand back and see to know that I've been a part of it along the way. <laughs> and then like people want to make drama. And I, like I said, I did that clickbait thumbnail and it's kind of like, you know, it's not the way the internet's going to read into it and see it. And I'm sure you probably got some of it too. And when you went off and did your own thing, I but, get some of it every day. Yeah. But <laughs> you're doing what you want to do. And it's like, we get this instant feedback loop that TV doesn't get true. Like instant feedback within hours of things happening. Mm-hmm. Where very true. Street Outlaws posts like they film something and maybe a year later it'll be on TV. They don't get comments. They don't know the viewership. None yep. of that. But we get yeah. it instantly, and it can push us so easily to change how we do things. Almost. Yeah. Yep. I would definitely agree with that. Because like I'm, I'm, I haven't talked to them in a while, but like Farm Truck and Asian, like what they do on TV, it would be so different if they were doing it on YouTube. Yep. And, and it's like probably a completely different audience that watches mm -hmm. solely TV versus like, and maybe they blend together a little bit, but like I don't have cable anymore at my house. I watch yeah. YouTube and I watch like Amazon Prime and Netflix when I actually do watch any TV. But like, I feel like that's kind of the way the world is shifting and you could, because you can watch exactly what you want to watch. And like with the, I definitely think there's value in like the Street Outlaws programming just if nothing else for the, um, you know, the audience that it caters to, but it's also very well put together, like their, yep. their editing, their production value, like, and that's stuff that like I watched top gear and like the thing that blew me away the most with top gear is some of their production value and some of the shots. Yeah. And it's like, Whoa, that is so cool. And like, if you can incorporate that into like your videos, even in the smallest way, it might be a, a transition or a camera angle that you saw in another video. And it's like, I want to do that camera. I, angle. I often like, wonder like at what, like the, the value you could get by saying, okay, I'm going to set out and get, you know, a couple filmers, an editor and really produce something crazy because like even when you look at the top of youtube automotive like vice grip and garrett they're not like mm -hmm. it's not like a big production company it's no like, it's not it's like an iphone yep and what vice grip does is actually pretty much tv like yeah. his videos are long form yes like start to finish of a vehicle like it's he is like the new what is it sunday morning car shows like, yep that is what he Fully yep. does. And Not it to got say him Garrett a motor trend, but Joe. Garrett doesn't do like that at mm -mm. all. Nobody really does. He's like the only real person doing that. Yep. And I mean, you could maybe use like the the Jim Connor stuff, like the Ken Block, which you know, unfortunately we lost Ken Block this week. Yes. Very. But like their production value, because I went back and I've watched all the Jim Connors again this week, um, just because that was an influence on my life growing up, mm -hmm. and those. Big videos have, you know, 14, 15, 30 million views on YouTube yeah. for the stuff that, and they were amazing videos. And then you watch the behind the scenes stuff and they were like week long shoots for a yeah. 10 minute video. I think Brian Scotto, who did a lot of that stuff, really mm -hmm. deserves his flowers on that for yeah. seeing that that on YouTube at the time that they were doing it would get the views and potential that it had. 
is yep. really tough to see. Like they're very visionary in that. Aspect, very much so. To and put that kind of money into a production. And they stepped it up like every video after. Mm -hmm. Like it, you know, I went all the way back to the beginning and watched the one in the airfield with the Subaru where he's out there just hanging that thing sideways. And, and apparently like they had the, um, there was a couple of different behind the scenes program where it's just Ken and Brian sitting there talking and he's like, yeah, that was a like day and a half shoot. Like mm -hmm. we shot a half a day here and then we shot another day, like three months later, didn't realize what we had. And then we pieced it all together and was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And it, you know, it went a couple million views and I don't know what it is now, but like all the way building up to like Jim Connor 10, where they had the five different cars and all the different yep. locations and like that was a worldwide video, 20 minute long video, five different cars. And it was just amazing to watch. And it's great entertainment that in some ways, I think still brings in non-automotive people that there's at least an appreciation mm -hmm. for the things we're doing. Because I can remember 10 years ago telling people that you raced and I don't know what their perception was, but it wasn't as positive, I feel like, as it is now. Like, oh, you're some, you know, dirty, dirty racer who's, you know, rubbing two nickels together to go take his hunk yeah. of junk to the racetrack. And I mean, like we talked about with the investment in these cars, like there's serious money in these builds. And you're not some like just idiot that's able to put something together that goes out and runs successfully. And that I think as the general public has seen like the dedication and the time and the investment, it's at least something that's, you know, appreciated more on a larger, on a larger scale than, oh, you're just not some, some goofball that's, you know, trying to go, go fast in his old, you know, like 87 Monte Carlo around a circle track. Cars right? are being built at such a level though now where some of these cars you're like, oh, is that like a, nasa tech that worked on that thing like yeah. like legitimately that level some of these cars with like yep. some of the amazing features i mean even like i think nascar is like remoted into the car the whole time they can be and they're like mclaren ecus like mm -hmm. extreme level of stuff and that stuff always trickles down into yep us. i don't know if they're allowed to be live during official events but on test days they're 100 percent live with the car live like at least in. the big teams just like formula one mm -hmm. stuff and it's it's wild to i mean we like grant that you mentioned earlier they have wi-fi data in um their champ car like in the pits they can be monitoring the temperatures mm -hmm. and the and the different aspects of the car because you don't always watch your gauges, but if you've got somebody that can watch the gauges in the pits, it's yeah. like, hey, water temp's a little high. Like, keep an eye on that. Yeah, it's tough to watch the gauges. Um, sometimes I like to just not look at them. Yeah, like drag racing, I don't. Because, like... The ECU should save you yep. in a lot of instances. If it breaks in that four seconds you're on the track, it's you're not going to save it by stepping off the throttle two-tenths sooner or half yeah. a second sooner. By the time your eyes catch it and... Yep. You're probably already too late. If you've <laughs> done the homework to set up some safeties like you're talking about, okay, no oil pressure or oil pressure is too low above 6,000 RPM, just dump all the boost out of it and dump all the timing out of it. So you, your head hits the dash is one of the sayings we use. Like all of a sudden you're decelerating 
And then it forces you to look at the gauges and you're like, oh, okay, I'll step off the gas now. Yeah. So I've seen also a lot of that of like, oh, like this happened and then you point fingers when it's like, wait, why didn't you have a safety for that? Yep. There's so many finger pointing on that too. And then it com- a lot of it comes back to like, why didn't you have a safety on that? I think that's happened to a lot of people we know where. There's some people that, and I've had it happen to me, you get a false reading and you'll get a safety trip that didn't need to happen. And so there's some people actually on, uh, on mullet. I had a timing safety that when the air temp got too hot, it just like all of a sudden it yanked out like 10, 15 degrees of timing. Cause I was trying to protect the engine and that was with the, the LS in it. And we thought that maybe it pulled so much timing out of it that it, it made the engine unhappy and it was one of the times that I think it was at Gainesville when it hurt a, hurt a connecting rod. And I think as we grew and learned what we were doing, cause it's always a learning process. We were just a little bit on the edge of being too lean. And then when we pulled all the timing out of it, it just kind of, things kind of weird. And like after we kind of worked through that program and we just ditched the timing or the timing safety on the intake air temp, things started you know running yeah. running more consistently well, you guys and, were leaning on an ls pretty hard in that yeah in that, that weight deal, like, that weight that's, that's what i think that's the magic word right there yeah. that weight weight makes everything more difficult like i mean think about trying to push a hundred pound weight across the floor or push a five pound weight across the floor like it's in some level it's applicable to like race cars mm-hmm. and especially if you want to go do dragon drives at that weight Mm-hmm. You're gonna need. You're kind of at the limit of what an LS can do. Yep. What most small blocks could do. Yeah, and the the car that we're building now for a guy named Spencer, it's gonna be hopefully like three thousand pounds, but it's basically one of Mullet's last LS engines from Texas Speed. So he basically called Texas Speed and be like, mm-hmm. I want the motor that you built for Mullet. So the and I know he got some help from like fast forward race engines and stuff. And when they switch to the different heads and whatnot, but like the goal is to take Spencer's car and with it being, you know, probably 400 pounds lighter, maybe a little bit better arrow because it's not, you know, a 27 foot long El Camino that's got a really abrupt window angle and all that other stuff. It's, it's in a later model Camaro, yeah. not these, cause these are like actually really, really good aerodynamic wise. But like the goal is that we go out and we go 690 fairly quick with the car and it's a drag and drive deal. But I mean, the goal is that it's 30,000, 3,100 pounds and it's going to be a very similar combination to what mullet was, except it's got, it's lighter and it's pretty much no nonsense. Cause we did get kind of mullet like in the middle. And so yeah. then I had to go change some things, but it would have been better. I would have preferred to start from step one instead of having to come back behind and do other things and make you make compromises when you're following up somebody else's work. At least you make compromises to how you would want to do it originally. But Spencer's car was like clean slate, like cut out the firewall, cut out the taillights and drop everything out. And like it's a basically a three quarter chassis cars, four link in the back. It'll be carbon fiber floor from the main hoop back. Like the goal is like, real deal race car with all the street amenities and it goes out and like like i said the goal is sixes 
in fairly short mm -hmm. order. And it's like that white ZL1 that always races all the drag drives. Same body. Like, he, he brought that thing with, he bought it with zero miles on it, dropped it off in the chassis shop, and yeah, they built it like that. And that car, I think that one's still kind of heavy because it's got all of the creature comforts in yep. it still. Like, all the stock dash, all the interior, I think all it has cruise the, control still. Like, yeah, like it's on the that steering wheel. So <laughs> nice, like so I think so Tim, nice. Tom Tim owns it, maybe I don't know. I but can't. Tom uh, a, Tom his last name starts with an M. Yeah, but that car is like a drag and drive veteran car. Yep. Like it's one of those like when you think of drag and drives, you think of like Bailey, you think of that car, you think of yep. Lutz, and like Larry Larson. Like there's the drag and drive stuff. I think. Uh, David uh, Freiberger was just posting about it earlier. He's like, mm -hmm. how did it take 15 years to blow up? Yeah. Because this year and last year, it, it just exploded. But yep. they've been doing Drag Week for, for 15 years. years. <laughs> yep. It's, that's an interesting phenomenon. Like, talking with David a little bit, like, he's like, it's awesome. And, like, Drag Week is, like, tough to get into now. Yeah. And it's like... They all are. True. Even, even now, they still all are. They still all sell out in five minutes. Yeah. And... Hopefully that's because they're trimming the fields to like reasonable numbers because trying to run 300 cars, I think drag week is around 300 cars, but trying to run 300 cars down a track and get them two passes throughout a day, like when that's a lot of work. And then you've got weather complications that get mm -hmm. thrown into the mix. And I mean, it's people trying to get more passes. Yep. People don't show up till last minute. Yeah, and it's, or somebody breaks or crashes or oils down the track, and then, oh, shoot, there goes that hole. I did that. Two hours. I mean, it happens. You race long enough, you're going to oil down the track. Yep. <laughs> that is very, very true. And that's one thing that people gripe at tracks about. I don't want to run a diaper. I don't want to run a belly pan. Screw that. Like, do you, would you rather spend, let's just say, a, a belly pan and fabrication, and it could be more, it could be less depending on if you pay somebody to do it or do it yourself. But say you put $1,000 in a belly pan, mm -hmm. and that belly pan, you kick the rods out of the thing, and the belly pan just makes it to where it's a nice, easy, straight, no drama, slow the car down at the end of the track. You kick the rods out of one with no belly pan, no diaper, you're in the wall. Yeah. And then that $1,000 looks cheap compared to the $30,000 you've got yep. to spend to get your car back like it was before you just balled it up in the fence. On sick week in Bradenton, like I got transfluid on the track, which came out of the converter seal. So diaper gotcha. wouldn't have really no. done anything. But I was parked up on the top end, and I was I was genuinely in like a dark place mentally after doing that because I know the situation they were in. They were yep. already pressed for time, and I was like, I was just in a dark place genuinely, and like yep. I felt so bad. And yep. I was like, I don't deserve to race the rest of the event. Like, <laughs> like I just oiled down, like, I oiled down a significant portion of the track. Yep. And a lot of the times, too, like, and I don't know, I've seen new people do it, and I've seen veterans do it. But, like, if you're buzzing down the track and all of a sudden, like, something feels weird, like, mirror check. And, like, if there's smoke, stop. And it's so mm -hmm. easy, like... To get locked in, and I mentioned I did it earlier in Soccer Mom when it's like put a little bit of water on the windshield, like I probably should have pulled over and stopped. Because if nothing else, it prevents the next car from going down the track before at least I get out and look and see if there's a trail of oil leading up to the underside yeah. of my car. And it prevents the track. The track's now got to come out and look and see, okay, well, why did he stop? 
oh, there's, there's an oil mist. Well, we better get the tractors out here and clean this up so that the next guy behind you doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't crash. Because I've driven over somebody's oil, and like luckily it was, it was just at a slow like bracket event because I used to bracket race back in 2003 and four, actually 99 through 2004. And like there's- But on a drag and drive, you're thinking, I gotta, I gotta get through the traps. Yep. I need a slip. You true. So unfortunately, it puts that in the back of your head. Like, I can't just stop and abandon yep. this pass. I may not get another one. That's part of it. And you've got to weigh <laughs> that decision out be like, do I, do I think it's bad enough that I need to get this thing stopped? Because there's also the thought that if you panic stop something and you've got oil under one side, well, you can actually induce mm-hmm. a crash by trying to stop too fast. And yeah. I actually did that in Will's car. Like if people go way, way back on my channel in the history videos, I was driving Will's outlaw drag radio car. I went like 460 something in the, um, in the eighth, like 170, 72 miles an hour. And the other guy I was racing, like we, I got beat, we stepped off the throttle and the other guy's car made a big pop. Like, I don't know if it was like exhaust pop or like it sneezed the intake off of it or whatever. But like I heard it and I kind of panic braked because I was like, shoot, what the heck was that? Like, was that me? Like all these thoughts run through your head. And when I squeezed the brakes too hard, it locked up the rear tires and we could see it in the data. It locked up like all of a sudden the drive shaft trace dropped like 50 miles an hour. It didn't mm-hmm. lock them up, but they were sliding. And then I'm sideways at 100 and, you know, probably 50 miles an hour like in the shutdown in a friend's car and i'm like all these thoughts are now going through my head where i'm like i'm about to crash my buddy's car he's got you know eight years into building this car and i'm going to be the idiot that pounds it off the fence and luckily i saved it but that was completely self-induced like squeeze the brakes too hard and drag cars are typically set up to have more rear bias because you got big rear tire and little bitty front tire you don't want to just lock up the fronts. Yeah. So got pretty lucky that I didn't destroy that one. Well, that happened one time me and Garrett were racing Leroy, and he was like, it spun at 1,000 feet. It, it kicked the head gaskets out. Yep, and you drove over your own water. Yeah, yep. and I was like, well, that's good that all you thought it was just spun the tires, and you just kind yep. of drove through it. Yep, <laughs> I think that was... It happened at Bradenton. Was that the night he went sevens? Um, yes, it was. It was yep. um, Casey was tuning it that night, Casey Rance. Yep, and then they were just like, send it, yeah. drain the coolant out of it, send Take it. Take the coolant out, and one of the million LSs that we've went through. <laughs> yeah, they're... They're disposable, sure. for sure. Yeah, and, like, we've been fairly fortunate with stuff in Soccer Mom to not completely catastrophically destroy one. Yeah. You know, knock on some wood somewhere. <laughs> okay, there's a wall over there. We'll knock on that in a minute. But, like, we've hurt head gaskets and, like... We kicked the rods out of one at Orlando. Actually, we heard a piston at, like, I think the very first Cletus and Cars at Bradenton. And back then we were running like five teens, still like a no time car. And we bent a connecting rod and heard a piston because of the bent connecting rod. Because it, now it get cocked a piston enough in the bore that it was dragging crooked on the bore. Yeah. And so we put a brand new connecting rod and brand new piston in it. And the very next pass with all of the tune more conservative, it like ripped the pin out of that brand new piston 
and then the Raj just in there beating everything up and destroyed the block and destroyed the camshaft yeah. and like that was a completely stock bottom end deal but like we were like shoot we put a brand new thing in there and backed the tune-up off and literally like i think it i made like a 530 run at orlando and as i'm stepping off the throttle i heard it click hmm. and so they come get me with the four-wheeler and because we always towed back from the top so we could read plugs and kind of you know learn our tune-ups and stuff and I hit the starter and it was like there was nothing attached to the thing because it broke the timing chain. Mm -hmm. So like there was no compression in any cylinder and I'm like, uh-oh, that's not good. But it kept everything in the diaper and like everything was okay, but. Like, yeah, is that the nice part about not running like an LSX block? Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, once you step up, everything gets more like, ah, oh, please don't be broken. Like, you know, <laughs> no. you break like a five, three block, you're like, okay, like it's yep. not the end of the world, I'm sure. You guys could acquire those pretty easily. Yep, we've got a few spares. Yeah. So, which, the one that's in the car now, there's, we've got two of the really good aluminum block spares, like, because mm -hmm. Kimber keeps an eye on the Facebook marketplace, <laughs> and he's gotten a couple of them cheap. I was going to say, as a GM guy, he kind of gets to be able to uh, yep. get some OEM stuff. Yep, it used to be that he could, he could buy the cores from the dealership, like, mm -hmm. when, or he could, like, they didn't necessarily care because like a, you know, a 5.3 core out of a truck or something, if we brought another 5.3 to use as the core, like they would be okay with it. But like now that it's like, I think everything's have kind of gotten a little tighter on all of the restrictions there and stuff. But he's just, he's kept an eye on Facebook Marketplace and picked up a couple of them along the way. And we're building one for another of his friend's cars. And it's like, oh, cool. Well, we'll keep, keep after those because we've got this nice little package that we can do and that's the original engine that the lawn dart had in it and it actually went quicker than soccer mom because that car was a little bit lighter and we took everything we learned from soccer mom and then just dumped it right into the lawn dart mm -hmm. we, we changed a couple little things to be better it had a little bit better turbo on it um, a little bit different camshaft the car was 100 pounds lighter and i mean it went out and ran like 450s with a stock block and actually a stock crank ls and that thing's got a hundred hits on it and like the motor's for sale now and like never heard a head gasket like yeah dick did a really good job like dick owns the car and he's done a very good job being responsible with his tune-up but still being aggressive enough to continue to go faster and that's part of the struggle that i have with a lot of customers is not only are you building them a car, but you're trying to educate them on how to run the car themselves. Whether it's, okay, if you see it doing this with the shock data, you need to snug up the compression or snug up the extension to try and yeah. make the car do something different. Or if the track's just terrible, you got to back the tune-up off. I know your tune-up went 460s everywhere you've taken it, mm -hmm. but like if you go to this track, there's even no amount of traction control is going to save it if the track is like as is slippery as your concrete floor here and like it's just part of the education process for people and certainly not thinking that i know everything about everything but like there's certain things you do know and if it benefits people you know you try to educate them on that and be like you know well i'll help you know send me your data and i can help as much as i can but you've got to be able to run the car if if i'm somewhere that my phone's not working you got to be able to 
you know, make a decision to try and keep running your race. Otherwise, then you're upset because the car wouldn't go down the track. And there are people that run their cars like that. They, if they can't have outside assistance, they can't ever go run the car at all. And yeah, like the nice thing about if you get a car with a really good baseline and you educate the customer on, okay, well, if the track's really good, you go in and you add more boost from six tenths all the way to the finish line. And you can give them these kind of like basic recipes to try and go faster without getting them out in left field to where the car's spinning every time and they're lost and they're upset. And Does it help like, you know, you're not building, it's an LS with a single turbo. You're not building an insanely overpowered car. So you're not going to... I think it does. Completely overpower every track. Like it's not a yep. big block with twins... 88 millimeter turbos where you could easily overpower a track with one little click yep like these you know relatively low power cars don't like my car it's hard for me to overpower a track on the 60 foot yep like we're throwing everything at it that's definitely nice to have that assurance in like i say like soccer mom is usually all in by eight tenths Mm -hmm. if it makes it to eight tenths in the run it's going down the racetrack but with say like mullet or will's old outlaw drag radial car mm-hmm. or any super powerful car you're talking about like they might be adding power all the way to three seconds into the run and that's yeah. after the gear change so if you're if you're right on the edge of kicking the tires and then it makes the gear change and then it just spins the tires well then you're in trouble there so then there's you can have some traction control stuff that'll usually save the car on a shift but if you miss it and you're like i said the closer you get to the edge the more easy it is to fall over that edge yeah like i think about like rick prospero where they yep. kept their car tame on the starting line always good yep, short, did. short wheelbase a lot of power always tame on the starting line and i think one of the things that why he had a lot of success that people so rick's run that car for 10 years yeah we're talking green rx7 yep big block twin turbo green rx7 you guys have seen it in almost all of my other channel videos. Yep, he whooped <laughs> at me the at the Christmas track. tree race two years ago. He's been like the guy for the past three years of street car racing. Yeah, he won modified street at Sick Week um, against uh, Michael, I can't say his last name. He's a Swede, I think, that lives up yep, in Michigan. The Volvo. Yep, the Volvo wagon. And now Garrett will be in the fray with them. And uh, if he runs modified again, which I think he's, mm-hmm. I think the car still fits modified. But Rick had, you know, probably a thousand laps on that car. And like same basic combination to like we were talking about earlier, you show up at a racetrack and you look at the conditions, you look at the track, you look at the weather. You're like, all right, well, let's drop a 460 tune up in it and take it to the starting line. And having that confidence and having that prior data, it just, it makes a car, makes running a car so much easier. Yeah, him and his son, Cole, have so much time into running that thing. It's just second nature to them. Exactly. That's a, that goes a huge way, and I'll warn people on, don't chase the latest and greatest part that Mm -hmm. always comes out, because if you don't know your whole combination, you're still figuring out different parts of different areas of your combination and then you go throw a new part in well that one new part may affect 
all kinds of other parts of your car. Like you could change the torque converter and it changes your requirements for your boost controller now because yeah. the converter may lock up harder or lock up softer so you can actually hit it with more power or it may like it may be locked up harder on the shift like by the time you get the rpm up that when it makes the shift it instantly knocks the tires off of it and you have to put like a timing retard in to kind of knock some of the torque out of it so that it keeps the tire hooked up just through that shift point and if you don't have either a safety like when a turbo car spins the tires on the shift, a lot of times it ain't recovering. Like if your foot's in it, it's spinning until you hit a wall. Yeah, if a radial car spins its tires, I mean, you might as well just kind of get out of yeah, there for the most part. It's, you're done. Yeah. And I've seen even people change like little things like, oh, I'm going to add a little leave RPM and then suddenly your bump box doesn't work. Yep. And then suddenly you're sitting there like, yep. oh, just ruin that pass. We've had that. Ruin in... that contest. Uh, lap you know whatever yep i've had that with uh soccer mom and bump boxes are also or any of your bump settings or creep settings it's very dependent on fluid temperature like your your transmission fluid temperature and that's why you see guys running these external coolers now where they go to the starting line and the trans temp is 90 degrees like every yep. time they go to the starting line it's always the same and if we there were times in soccer mom where we were testing and it would, we'd load it up, make a attempt, and it would spin. Well, that all that spool up and everything, put heat in the fluid, mm -hmm. back up, put it in the beams again, and the thing goes right down the track and runs a pretty good lap. But it, the fluid being hotter, made the coupling just soft enough that it got through that point where it spun the yep. tire, and. If it had hooked when the when it was coupling harder, it might have been a number or two faster. But you went over the edge and it spun versus you know being able to just make the like when it when everything got softer and mushier with the higher fluid temps. Obviously, you can get fluid temps that are way too high. But like even like a thicker fluid changes a lot of that. Yep, yep. We played around with different thickness of fluids in Soccer Mom, and the thicker fluids couple better, but they're also more prone to heat buildup and then you just mm -hmm. smoke the fluid faster and <laughs> this is actually i was talking to parker about this there's so many different avenues in this where you think you're just opening up like a pamphlet to learn but it's really oh, no. a book <laughs> it's a huge book like he was pulling out his spark plugs and i was like i wish i knew more about that stuff like we were talking yep. about heat ranges and stuff because like i know a little bit but like there is an endless mm -hmm. vast of knowledge on every little part of a car there definitely is and it just like it's never endless and that it's never ending and that's the fun part about it yep i totally agree and for when it comes to drag racing, like I actually enjoy the building and the data analysis mm -hmm. probably more than I like driving the car. And I enjoy driving the car, but like the science that goes behind it and like making the suspension work because there's always little improvements you can make. And that's kind of like back to the Rick Prospero thing. Like his combination is nothing exotic. Like it's a big block Chevrolet. Couldn't it's even got, rev it high. No, it's it's got. Like, I don't know if they're super ported heads or nothing, but it's like out of the, like they're casting, they're cast cylinder heads. They're not a billet cylinder head. His turbos were old. And like, you know, I know Rick well enough that like talking to him about it, he'd be like, yeah, this is a bunch of old stuff, but he's got so many laps with it that he picked up two hundreds here and then maybe three hundreds here and then picked up consistently one number by this little change. And then over the years, 
he's got a car that can i mean i think that thing went as fast as like 430s like yeah like in like when he went somewhere and went to just test with no no requirements of like actually racing racing they mm-hmm. went to some test days and i think they went as fast as 430s and that's cooking it like, they were they were eighth mile set up last time i saw them out and they were testing to run the same race as me unfortunately they ended up kicking a rod out the block oh, most recently gotcha. but we were supposed to race at heavy street in orlando and i was little grateful that they didn't make it out for that because <laughs> they were definitely going to run me over and <laughs> yep the heavy street class is a it was a little open rules wise yep, in my opinion <laughs> yeah and it's like whatever goes at 3500 pounds or something like yeah. that or it was like know. 100 extra pounds for big block versus small block gotcha i was like that's not really enough of a weight penalty in no, my opinion to no. go from small block 2j to big block twin turbo yeah and you're like little bitty small block it's like tiny tiny 190 small block. cubic inches or something like that yeah when five three people start to try to tell me how small their engines are. yeah nope i'm still over 100 cubic inches smaller and then the than coyote you, so. guys do the same thing it's just a small coyote i'm like eh. is it though it's pretty big your cylinder heads are you know gigantic yeah they flow an those, insane amount those things are impressive like even just like I am impressed by some of the new stuff that the manufacturers are doing. Like you know, I feel like Dodge kind of started it with the you know the specialty cars, and like mm-hmm. maybe even you could say Ford contributed with some of the the Cobras and the, but like you look at the Hellcats and the Shelby modified Fords and like the ZL1 Camaros and like you can buy some rowdy hot rods from the manufacturers and sadly they're probably going away in the next 10 years with all the could EV buy an electric stuff maybe and, <laughs> yeah and the electric stuff is i definitely think it's got a place in our future cuz it's it's neat technology and i mean i've got a, actually Grant's got a Tesla Plaid and that thing is a rocket ship like uh-huh. it is wild what it'll do but you can't hop in it and drive it to California in any kind of reasonably no exceptional or acceptable thing. Like I can hop in my truck and whoop it on the way to California, but when is it a race to go drive to California? They're but, great for around town. Yep, but you're not doing any cannonballs with it. No, and it's like I kind of feel like the government, at least our government, is jumping on the EV bandwagon too soon because I don't think the infrastructure is there to support it, like home mm-hmm. charging stations and like... I was a huge fan and still am in hybrid technology. I think that's yep. the best. You have a little gas motor that runs at the constant RPM yep. that it's most efficient at, yep. and then it charges everything. Because, you know, you run a, a small gas motor at one RPM that you know it's efficient at, you're good. Yep. You know Actually, it's Kimber, work great. Kimber told me that diesel hybrid is really the way. Because, like, mm. you get this little efficient, like, little, you know, two-cylinder, three-cylinder turbo diesel yeah. or something in there. And it's doing all the stuff. And then, like you said, it's charging the stuff as well as, you know, doing whatever it's got to do going down the road. And, like, it's, it works. But, like, this, like, by 2030, we're getting rid of, you know, internal combustion engines. Like, I just can't see Yeah, it. that'll like, be tough. Not with... Not without nuclear power plants, at least. <laughs> oh, everywhere. And then all the people that are for electric vehicles are like, no, not nuclear. Even though I think nuclear is like the most efficient power production of like all of the options we have. Like the it's green, been the safest. 
Yeah, the green like, energies aren't going to get it done. I'm sorry. Like the windmills and the solar, like no. it ain't going to happen. There's, the technology's not there yet. And I don't even know if it could be, but like the, what a nuclear power plant does. And I feel like I've watched some YouTube documentaries on, you know, different nuclear mm-hmm. power generation and all the problems that everybody's most worried about aren't as much like the they've solved the waste problem and they can use it so many times or something like a lot of it probably went over my head, but like they make it sound like it's not nearly as dangerous as what was perceived back, especially in the eighties when you had like, you know, Chernobyl and the three mile Island up in the Northeast. Yeah. Pennsylvania, three mile Island. They had one on Long Island when I was growing up and they protested to shut it down. Of course, just like all the other ones. Yep, and it's like, dang, like, you've you got to be able to check yourself enough, and this goes with a lot of things, to, like, be open to other possibilities, I guess, because, like, if you're so hard set on something, but, like, you can see things are headed that way, which you could say that of us older guys, older internal combustion guys, oh, you're all anti-EV, I mean... I don't think it's the savior that it's being made out to be. The best example that I saw was a, a soccer mom in her 5,000-pound Tesla is not saving the environment. Mm-hmm. Do you want to save the environment? You get third-world countries to own electric scooters that they use 10,000 of them driving around their cities That's a all good day. example. You know, because, like, any 5,000-pound car, you're already in the wrong direction. Yeah. Any single ownership car you're probably already in the wrong direction yep because it's like there's no possible way that that could be efficient to build or to operate yep but if you have somebody with a scooter that's electric and then get they get rid of their gas one that's probably two stroke burning oil making a mess that's probably the worst offender i would say well even like i've seen arguments for like the shipping industry, that's all unregulated. Like mm-hmm. all, all this focus that's on our motorsport stuff by the EPA and stuff. And like, it's, it like factors into some of the decisions we're making. Like, mm-hmm. do you, like, I know there's people that are like, oh, you know, that's, they can't, they don't have a leg to stand on, like whatever. Okay. Like me versus the government. Like, even if I lawyer up and, like, win my case, what did I just spend on, like, yeah. like lost revenue, stress, so lost time off my life because I'm stressed out about, crap, I'm fighting the government. And then you've got, okay, you beat the government and you just spent, you know, $100,000 on lawyers. Yep. But, and then you cost yourself even more on lost revenue and all this other stuff. And, like... It's concerning. Like, there's definitely things. And then there was that guy here recently, which I think you shared his thing on Facebook, the guy that got arrested for showing something in the YouTube video. And I'm like, shoot, I've done a burnout on a road before. Am I going to come after me next? And so it's like... your industrial park. Yeah. Burnout. You're going to be the guy. You're the bad guy uh, up in Gainesville. It's like, it's genuinely a concern. And like, for people that don't know, like, I'm not a big fan of big government. Like, I kind of want to i have respect for government but at the same time it's like like we don't need to be nannied and like no. have somebody all over on top of that's not 
that's not really the, what America was founded on. Yeah, I, don't I think, think back to the original states were supposed to be big, central government was supposed to be small. Yep. It seemed to have strayed away from not that. there anymore. Yeah. So. And it's tough because, like, will some kid that's 15 year old, years old right now, should he get into tuning cars? Mm. Probably not. Should he pick up an HP tuners and start playing yeah. around and maybe make a career out of that? It's a tough sell. Like when you really think about it. And that's sad for me. Like, you know, like you think the things you're investing your life in, at least for me, that was something that, you know, I thought my kids could eventually do. Now, granted, like I've got three daughters, so they're not likely to strap on a welding helmet and go, you know, want to build race cars with me. But Statistically unlikely. Yeah. yeah, but like, I don't even know if that's an option for them in the future. So like, I'm trying yeah. to do as good as I can for as long as I can to not only keep my employees, uh, keep their salaries paid, but like also to try and make sure that I provide for myself in the future. Cause yeah. I mean, that's kind of my stick. Like I, I didn't finish college. So I like, what am I going to do outside of like motorsports? Like it's certainly a question mark. And, yeah. I mean, like where do you go from here? But what, what is it going to be like? The people are saying, uh, they're not going to take my stuff. I'll make a stand. Okay. What are you going to be held up in your house taking a stand? Yeah. It's against a government fine. Yeah, and like Brett is dealing with Brent is dealing with it. Jade got hit. Uh, yep. Mike Vargas, his shop got hit. They said five thousand dollar fine every car that leaves there modified. Wow. Started January first, and they were like, "This is." He got like a electronic letter that was like, "We know you got this." Wow. Like, Where's where are they located? Virginia. Okay. Golly, but it was a, it's a federal thing. People say, like, oh, I'm safe in Michigan. I'm safe in Florida. Safe in Texas. It's a federal thing. It's not a, it's not a state issue. Yeah, and it's, like I said, it's, it's on our radar, like, is what we're doing with, with the shop. And, like, we're focusing more on, like, you know, true race cars and stuff just because to try and avoid that kind of stuff. But, yeah, like, you look at any one of us probably has something on our channel that's not legal. And if somebody's job is, somebody that works for the government's job is to do nothing but watch and look for people that have made, done illegal things and documented it. Like, dang, that kind of sucks. That puts yeah. a whole nother layer into like, oh, shoot, what can I put in a YouTube video? Well, there's an interesting like book and theory about you commit basically five felonies every day. Like every single day of your life, you are committing a crime just okay. without even realizing because there's so many on the books without even yep. realizing your drive down here. You probably who knows yep. something there's like you every single day, something. And it's yep. just about and like, I mean, I understand the need for law, but like at the same time, like if I'm speeding at freaking two o'clock in the morning when I'm driving back home and I'm literally, there's nobody else on me on the interstate. Mm -hmm. Who am I hurting but myself? Like if I were to crash or pops a tire and I drive off into the woods or whatever, mm -hmm. like does some cop need to, or you run a stop sign and like you're, you come to a four way stop in the middle of nowhere and you blow the stop sign. It's no harm, no foul. Like that's the way I at least, I feel like the amount of, 
And there's still pockets of places that are probably like that. But Victimless like, crimes. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. There's no victims. Yep. Unless there's a victim, the, the stop sign's not a victim. Yeah. And the cop's going to chase you down because you broke a law. Which, Speeding five yeah. miles an hour doesn't... There's no victim there. Nope. And you if you're in Florida money. on the interstate, like, <laughs> like five miles an hour, you better be in the right lane. Yeah, you better be going fast. So somebody's going to come up on you in a Honda Civic and start honking at you if you're only going five over. Yep. It's, <laughs> but at what point on the turnpike did they take your average speed from stop to from scanning place to scanning place or from exit to exit? Oh, you averaged three miles an hour over, so we're sending yeah. you a ticket. Uh, sounds like a nice, fun military state. Well, we'll end it off here before we go too far down it. Before we get off into that yeah. rabbit trail. Um, th- Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. We'll do it again. Thanks we for got, obviously, a lot more we can talk about. I think that could have went for another yeah. few hours. I don't know how long that went, but it felt like it was it was a comfortable amount of yeah, time. So. It was fun. Um, we'll yep. have Kevin on again. Guys, you can find him on YouTube. You know, KSR Performance and Fabrication on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. On TikTok, not as much, just because I've kind of focused on the YouTube stuff, and yeah. I need to be better. But you follow know. him, subscribe, uh, go leave a comment, all that fun stuff, guys. Thank you so much for watching. We will see you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.